And we are on air for Bamfa Racing's NASCAR Weekend Preview of Bristol Motor Speedway, along with our Hot Topic Sound Off later this morning. Now, we are doing a podcast today because there is racing at Bristol Motor Speedway on Thursday night. So uh, we will be putting out our uh, podcast on Wednesday afternoon, uh, early Wednesday afternoon, so that everyone will be able to uh, take part uh, in hearing the preview before the races actually begin. Okay, so what we're going to do is in the first half hour, we're going to offer some updates from the ARCA West series, and then we're going to preview the ARCA Menards and ARCA East series race at Bristol Motor Speedway on Thursday night. Uh, It's a big race. It's a season finale for the ARCA Menards Series East. And uh, there's also points paid for the ARCA Menards Series as well as the East Series and the Fuji Showdown, which is the ninth of 10 races in that series. At the top of the hour or the next half hour, we're going to preview the NASCAR Truck Series And then we're going to preview the Xfinity and the Cup Series at Bristol. And then at uh, about 90 minutes in, we're going to start our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with crew. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Jay's not here yet, so hopefully he'll be here soon. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to send him a quick note because, Usually he's here by now. Uh, And then we'll get this uh, party started, if you will, (laughs) for our podcast. Okay, now, um, again, the updates from the ARCA West. Uh, The ARCA West raced last weekend, but they are not racing this weekend. They're going to be racing the Star Nursery 150 on September the 23rd. Again, that is a Thursday night next week, 7 p.m. Pacific time. It'll be 10 p.m. Eastern time, and it'll be at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and will be available via track pass on NBC Sports Gold. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Now, we did uh, review their race at um, Portland on Monday night's show. If you haven't listened to that, uh, you'll want to take a listen uh, to the uh, review of the ARCA West race at Portland. There was a little bit of controversy. Uh, Taylor Gray won the race, but there were penalties taking out two of the top uh, three drivers and uh, giving Taylor Gray the credit for the win. So uh, you'll want to check out those details on our podcast. All right. Uh, And then uh, just to kind of give you an idea of uh, the points here for the ARCA West uh, and how that stands uh, right now, uh, the ARCA West series uh, still has, I think, about three races left in their season. Uh, but they have uh, quite a few drivers that are still in contention. Jesse Love has the lead right now. Uh, he is 19 points ahead of Jake Drew uh, in second place, and then Paul Pedroncelli Jr. in third place. Paul Pedroncelli Jr. is actually tied with Cole Moore, who holds the fourth spot uh, based on a poll by Pod, uh, Paul Pedroncelli. 
and then in fifth place is Joey East, 23 points back. So those five drivers are pretty close in points. And uh, I know that's after six races. I believe they have three more races left. Uh, Todd Souza is in sixth, 23 points back. Then it's Trevor Huddleston, Takuma Koga, Bridget Burgess, and Bobby Hillis Jr. Uh, at, let's see, Bobby Hillis Jr. is 67 points back. Those 10 drivers have raced all six races of the Arkham Menard Series West. So uh, that is uh, pretty cool that uh, they are definitely um, uh, in the running here uh, in the next three races. Now, I want to go to the uh, rest of the schedule here for the Arkham Menard Series West as well, because um, the West Series, as I mentioned, they're not done yet. They still have uh, quite a bit of racing to go. Uh, The schedule is going to slow down just a little bit because uh, they've raced quite a bit throughout the summer. But the next race is, again, at the Bull Ring in Las Vegas on September 23rd, October 9th. They'll be racing at All-American Speedway. And the season finale is November 6th at Phoenix Raceway uh, on the national stage with the season finale for the NASCAR Top 3 Series. So, uh, again, it's uh, three more races, September, October, and November for the ARCA West to determine who their champion is. Uh, Now, next up, we are going to be previewing the ARCA Menard Series East uh, and the ARCA Menard Series at Bristol. But keep in mind, that race is going to be the season finale for the Arkham Menard Series East. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, them uh, racing at Bristol tomorrow night. Uh, I still am not hearing from Jay here. That's highly unusual. I know he was planning to be here. So I am going to uh, send him a quick text here. because it's just not usual for Jay not to be here. Uh, he's usually here and on time uh, for these shows. So I suspect. It might have something to do with the fact that we were starting at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Um, So we'll see if Jay uh, is going to show up here. Uh, And I'll tell you a little secret. It is his birthday today. So maybe he started an early celebration of his birthday. So uh, definitely looking forward to uh, talking with him. Okay, so okay, so uh, anyway, we'll look forward to hearing from him shortly. Uh, so hopefully he'll uh, call in here in a few minutes. And I apologize for the interruption here. So yeah, I think he got confused with what time we were starting. So uh, we'll look forward to him to call in. He said, give him a minute to call in, 
and uh, hopefully we'll hear from him shortly. Um, so, uh, again, we're looking forward to uh, this race at uh, the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, again, it is a combination event uh, because these guys are going to be racing. These guys are going to be racing uh, the Arkham Menard Series. They're going to get points uh, in the Bush Be- Bush Bush's Best 200. The Arca East is going to be their season finale to determine their champion uh, for the season. And the Suchi Chojan, this is the ninth event of their 10-race series at Bristol Motor Speedway. It's just one race, but three different uh, series on the line here for the Bush Beans 200. That race, again, is tomorrow night, September the 16th. It will be 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time at Bristol Motor Speedway. And fans can watch this one on Fox Sports 1 on Thursday night. And so that tells you just how big this event is. Uh, With three series, uh, one race, and uh, one championship on the line, the final race for the Arkham Menard Series East. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, we now have Jay Huseman here, and I just want to make sure we do this. <laughs> it was kind of light there, but did you hear it, Jay? <laughs> I, d- I did hear it. Thank you so much. Uh, I'd, I'd I say as you get older, you, you forget things, but I just I just messed up. I thought we were doing 10 Central, 11 Eastern, so that was my bad. I thought that might have something to do with it. So I'm going to go ahead and play this again. I think I've turned up the volume here so everybody can hear it. Okay, it is Jay Huseman's birthday, so I hope everybody uh, sends him a birthday wish, and I hope all your wishes come true, Jay. Well, thank you so much. I I know I've already had a ton of messages. I talked to my dad already this morning, so been a busy morning for sure. Okay, well, I've done the update for the ARCA West Series, and now we're getting into the ARCA Menard Series and the Arkham Menard Series East, as well as the Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, they haven't put up the pit box yet, so uh, what we'll do is go over the entry list, uh, just talk about who's going to be in this race. Uh, and it's actually a pretty large list, Jay. And we'll start from the bottom and work our way up here. All right, give me one second while I get that loaded. Um, I know I think it was well, Daniel Dye made, uh, made a comment about that. I think there were 30 entries maybe. Yeah, there's quite a few people. And just a, just a, a programming note here, we had Dean Thompson on our radio show on Monday night. If you haven't heard his interview, uh, you'll definitely want to go back and listen to that podcast. Uh, he's on during the third half hour of the show, uh, if that helps you cue it up. And uh, he really gave us a nice interview. I look forward to maybe having Dean back again uh, somewhere down the road here. Well, I hope so. Uh, you're right. It was a great interview. 
Uh, I'm glad you all got to do that. I, I did listen to it. Uh, all the drivers we've had on, I mean, it's always such a pleasure. I know we've had struggled here lately getting guests on, but always a pleasure to have these drivers on. It certainly is. Okay, are you ready, Jay? Yeah, yep. Okay, we'll go from the bottom up again. There's close to 30, if not 30 different drivers that we're going to highlight here. And uh, we'll start from the bottom up here. The 06, that's going to be Don Thompson out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania, on the Wayne Peterson Chevrolet. George Gimbert going to be the crew chief. And then Tony Constantino, we've seen him around, and the Hillenburg Toyota with Richard Garvey uh, in the 01, coming out of Manola, Florida. Okay. And in the number 97 this weekend is Jason Kitzmeyer Miller. Uh, is from Maysville, Kentucky. He'll be driving a Chevrolet for Cody Rohrbaugh, and Todd Myers will be his crew chief. Terry Carroll will be the crew chief for Justin Carroll in the number 91 Toyota uh, for that team, and he is from West Point, Virginia. In the number 87, that'll be Meadows of Dan, Virginia driver Charles Buchanan, in the Charles Buchanan Ford, Craig Wood going to be the uh, crew chief. And then Sammy Smith, uh, one of the championship contenders uh, from Johnston, Iowa, in a Coy Gibbs Toyota in number 81. Uh, Jamie Jones yeah. will be the crew chief for that machine. Yes, and Sammy Smith, uh, this is the season finale for him to win the championship. He's currently in the lead. Uh, but he has some other drivers that would love to uh, upstage him here at Bristol, and we'll see what happens uh, at the race on Thursday night. Okay, next up we have Andy Jakowiak from Tawanda, Tonawanda, New York. He'll be driving his own uh, car this weekend with Mike Dayton on top of the pit box. Tommy Baldwin will be on top of the pit box for uh, Marie Benavent. Shows uh, Toyota, the number 74, driven by Mason Diaz from Manassas, Virginia. Not a new Brunsville, Texas. That'll be Parker Chase in the 55. That's a Venturini Toyota. Dave Liner is the crew chief. And then Seth Smith, we've seen him uh, with Joey East in the, on the 54. Joey comes out of Madero, California, and that'll be in the DGR, David Gill and Ford. And the number 48 is Brad Smith driving for his own race team, uh, the Chevrolet with Leo Krieger as his crew chief, and he hails from Shelby Township, Michigan. Bad Moffat will be behind the wheel of the number 46 Ford uh, for the Johnny Gray team with Derek Smith as his crew chief. The number 44, that'll be Stephanie Moyer out of Shepton, Pennsylvania. It's in a John Ferrier Toyota. Owen Smith is the crew chief. And out of Fredericksburg, Virginia, the 42, that is Connor Jones. It's a Bruce Cook Chevrolet with Sean Samuels as the crew chief. Okay, and we've had him on our show in the number 35, Greg Van Alt. For his own race team, he hails from Anderson, Indiana. He'll be driving a Ford with crew chief Jim Long on top of the big box. 
Mark Rett will be on top of the pit box for his team, uh, the number 30, driven by Max Gutierrez. He'll be driving that Mark Rett Ford this weekend. He hails, of course, from Mexico City, Mexico. And coming out of Tucker, Georgia, that's going to be the Sieg Operation RSS Racing Chevrolet. Kyle Sieg will be behind the wheel of the number 28 with Tony Wilson as a crew chief. And then Wayne Peterson, crew chief in the David Richmond Toyota number 27. That'll be Zachary Tinkle out of Speedway, Indiana. What better, what better town name can you come from than Speedway, Indiana? <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, and then last year's uh, ARCA West champion in the number 25 for Venturini Motorsports, he'll be driving their Toyota, the uh, number 25 again, and Kevin Reed is his crew chief. Now, uh, in the number 23 for uh, the Stacy Holmes Chevrolet is Sam Mayer from Franklin, Wisconsin. Shane Huffman will be his crew chief. Then for the GMS, Murray Gallagher Chevrolet, the 22, that'll be Jack Wood. He comes from Loomis, California. Chad Walter going to be his crew chief. And that, another Chad crew chief in four, the Gallagher Chevrolet, that'll be Chad Bryant on the number 21 with Daniel Dye as the driver coming out of Dillon, Florida. Okay. Um Okay, now then we have uh, in the number 20, another championship contender in the, actually the next two are both championship contenders in the Arkham Menard Series. Corey Heim in the number 20 Venturini Toyota from Marietta, Georgia, with Shannon Rush on his pit box. And Mark McFarlane will be on the pit box for the number 18 Toyota, driven by Ty Gibbs from Huntersville, North Carolina. And Chad's a popular crew chief name. Chad Johnston, crew chief in the David Gillen Ford, number 17. Driver's going to be young Taylor Gray out of Mooresville, North Carolina. And then another Georgia driver, Atlanta, Georgia's Drew Dollar in the Venturini Toyota, number 15. Now it'll be crew chief by Bill Venturini himself. Okay. Uh, And next up, let's see. Next up, we have D.L. Wilson from Mark, Texas. He'll be driving the Hillenburg Toyota, number 12, with Dick O'Haney on the pit box. And Jeff McClure will be on the pit box of the other Hillenburg uh, car. It will be the number 11, driven by Mason Mingus from Brentwood, Tennessee. Uh, He'll be driving a Ford for Andy Hillenburg. The number 10 is going to be an Xfinity Series uh, Rookie of the Year contender. Jade Buford getting some more uh, seat time. Comes out of Nashville, Tennessee, driving a Hillenburg Toyota. Mike Schroof as the crew chief. And Jeremy Petty on the Eric Caldwell owned and driven machine. Caldwell in the number seven comes out of Piedmont, Oklahoma. Okay, the next two cars are Rev Racing Machines, uh, and Roger Carruth from Washington, D.C. will be behind the wheel of the number six Chevrolet with Glenn Parker as his crew chief. Steve Plattenberg will be on top of the pit box for the number two Chevrolet driven by Nick Sanchez from Miami, Florida. So I believe we covered everybody there. 
Jay? Yeah, that is quite the field, especially for the East Series uh, finale here. And what, I think we got, what, three left in the Arca Menard Series. So a lot of shifting and, and things going to be happening here as far as these points and championships. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the Bush Beans 200 at Bristol Motor Speedway is the 18th race of this season's schedule. It's the final race of the Arkham Menard Series East season and the ninth round of the Sioux Chief Showdown. And, again, it will start at 6.30 p.m. Eastern this Thursday, September the 16th. The race will be broadcast on Fox Sports 1 with a live stream available on, on the Fox Sports app, as well as radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM Channel 30, I'm sorry, 391, and the online channel of 981. Uh, radio, live radio coverage uh, is available for the Bush Beans 200. Uh, you can also get information at arcaracing.com at their Race Central, as well as their radio coverage. Uh, so, yeah, this is, this is going to be a big one, uh, Jay, on uh, Thursday night. Let's can, go over can the you standings. pick one? All right. No. As I say, can you pick one favorite out of all that? No way. This is really <laughs> oh, pretty exciting. Okay. All right. Which series do you want me to start with for the standings? Let's start with the Arca Menard series and kind of build up to the Arca East here. <laughs> all right. For their championship. The Arca Menard series has come down. It's been a battle, a two-driver battle all year long. If there's a load. Why is that? There we go. Uh, between Corey Heim, mentioned it, Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs. Gibbs does currently have that little bit of an advantage up to a 16-point lead now. Through the 17 races, Gibbs has nine wins, 16 top fives, as well as 16 top tens, eight poles, has led a total of 100, or uh, sorry, 1,238 laps. His average finish is 3.2. Corey Heim right there with him, six wins, 14 top fives, all 17 top tens. He's led 405 laps. His average finish is, and uh, like I said, I think this is the biggest this points differential has been throughout the year, and it's at 16 points. Yeah. And third through fifth. Okay. Uh, third through fifth, Thad Moffat, Nick Sanchez, 15 races each at minus 257 and minus 278. So even with three races remaining, like I said, this one's pretty much between the two of Gibbs and Heim. But then you got fifth place, Brad Smith, made 16 starts at minus 384. There, there might be some more shuffling there amongst the top ten, but the championship going to come down to Gibbs or Heim. Yes, indeed. And, you know, you know, Jay, that Bristol Motor Speedway can really shake things up. We've seen some different winners in these series. Uh, there for a while it was just Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim winning. But lately we've seen some different winners in this series. And uh, I think uh, I think when they come out of Bristol Motor Speedway, there might be a few shakeups here. There could be, and you mentioned it's race number nine in the Sioux Chief Showdown, so that one's getting down to it as well. Two races left there, this being one of them. Gibbs, again, has the points lead over Corey Heim at 338 to 325. 
Now, this one, there's several drivers that made all eight starts all the way through sixth place, uh, Brad Smith. Uh, so this one could, could have be a huge factor, especially with 30-some drivers in this event. But for the Sioux Chief Showdown, five of Gibbs' wins have come there, giving him the lead at 338. Corey Heim has picked up two wins at 325. Then Thad Moffitt and Nick Sanchez at 293. So they're only 45 points back from the lead. Uh, Taylor Gray at 236 and Brad Smith at 212. The six drivers that have made all eight of the Sioux Chief Showdown starts. So that one's been real interesting. I know we still got the same two at the top, but this one's a little bit more competitive, if you will. Mm-hmm. It is. And actually, Taylor Gray did miss a couple of those races. So that's pretty amazing that he's up in that top five group uh, with two fewer races. Then we talked about this. The, the championship is going to conclude for the, the camp, or, uh, not Camping World, Arca Menards East. And that will be, mentioned the points leader, Sammy Smith, uh, seven races, three wins, six top five, six top tens. Daniel died. His win was in the regular Archimenard series, so he doesn't have the win in the East series. But he has two top fives and all seven top tens is 24 back. Then is Mason Diaz in third at 33 back. Joey East at minus 38. Max Gutierrez at minus 40. In sixth place, Raja Karuth at minus 45. Those six drivers all have seven starts. It's one of those you hate to see it. Daniel Dye could still mathematically win, but he needs some help, and it would be some bad luck on the part of Sammy Smith. Yes, it would. Uh, but a lot of things can happen at Bristol Motor Speedway, as we well know. And uh, I couldn't think of a better track to have a season finale uh, than Bristol Motor Speedway for this Arkham Menard Series East. Uh, uh, what are your predictions uh, for these three races, or for these three Man, events? I'm... It's really interesting to see Sammy Smith and Daniel die. Like I mentioned, that one's not a mathematical uh, issue yet, but it, realistically it is. But with such a big field, as well as in a combination with the Arkham Menard series, you got mentioned Ty Gibbs and Corey Heim have been the dominant two there. You're looking at it becoming a point race, if you will. Not to say that Sammy Smith or Daniel Dye, any of these drivers can't win that Bristol race. Cause, and we know mm-hmm. we've seen it in the past, especially on the short tracks. Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs got a tit-for-tat thing going of, of who owes who a bump and run and whatnot. So, Somebody could come out of this and really capitalize on it. We could see a big shakeup even as far as this 24-point gap here on the east side. Yes, indeed. So, uh, you know, something could happen to Sammy Smith at the very beginning of the race and put him out of the race. I'm not wishing him bad luck. I hope he wins the race. I really do. Uh, But I, I, I just know that things can happen at that track. So, uh, no bad juju there. It's just that <laughs> things can happen at this track, and we just want to forewarn everybody uh, that don't miss this race because a lot can happen that can change all of these things that we've been talking about here with the point standings. Same thing could happen to Corey Heim or Ty Gibbs. Uh, Bristol is just one of those kinds of tracks. Uh, these guys are smart, though. I, I look for them to drive 
very smartly on the track this weekend. Um, I, I think Sammy Smith's going to walk away with the championship uh, when everything is said and done. So we'll we'll see what happens. But um, uh, as far as the race winner, uh, we've got a lot of different people that are in this race. Uh, who's your prediction for the winner of the race, Jay? You know, actually, I, I kind of got to lean towards Sam Mayer. I know he's in the Stacey Holmes machine and not with GMS mm-hmm. like he has been in the past, but we know he's got the experience there. He stepped up and won a truck series race there as well, uh, kind of out of the blue, if you will, in one of his first starts in the Camping World Truck Series. So if if you're not going to go with the top two uh, championship favorites of, of Gibbs and Heim, I think Sam Mayer is one that could sneak in there and do it. But like you said, it all depends on those first laps. We'll have to see how much these drivers are driving to protect their championship uh, hopes. Uh, you know, Daniel Dye knows he's going to go out, win the race, and let the cards fall where they may. Uh, you know, that's his option because he needs that help uh, from the negative side from Sammy Smith. So Sammy Smith can come away with a top five finish and still lock up that championship. Yes, indeed. Uh, And I would have to agree with you that Sam Mayer could certainly be a spoiler in this race. Um, And, but I I see, I think that Corey Heim and Ty Gibbs have learned quite a lot this year uh, in their racing experience. Uh, Ty, we know, has raced uh, some of the Xfinity Series races and done extremely well on tracks he's never raced on before. Corey Heim has raced in the uh, truck series this year. Uh, Bristol Motor Speedway is going to be another good experience for both of those drivers. And uh, uh, I think they will give uh, uh, Sam Mayer a run for his money, if you will. And uh, this is going to be a this is going to be a fun race to watch. Please don't miss this race because it is on Thursday night for a reason. There is just so many things uh, that are on the line here uh, in this series, and these drivers uh, want to be the driver that come away with a championship, that come away with a win, that put themselves in position uh, to win that Sioux Chief Showdown championship. So. Um, the ninth race of the Sioux Chief Showdown event. event uh, the next race at Salem Speedway is going to be their season finale for that Sioux Chief Showdown. Yeah, so many things, especially, and you mentioned it, three different championships uh, that they're looking at. One of them, the E-Series, going to be complete, the Sioux Chief Showdown, coming down to the final two events. And then the Arkham Menard series down to three events. So there is a lot on the line here in this one event. I think the biggest factor there is the number of cars. And I think I miscounted. I think it's actually 32 entrants uh, from what we read off that entry list. So that can be a huge factor if you do have that misstep uh, of how many entries are in that race. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's going to be a factor at a track like Bristol. So uh, these guys are constantly uh, hitting that brake, and who knows how the brakes are going to hold up for this event. I know it's 200 laps, uh, but these cars are not the same kind of cars. as uh, They're not going to be as sturdy as the cars that are driven in the East or I mean, driven in the Xfinity or the Cup Series. So uh, 
that's going to be something to watch at this event as well. Okay, we are past the half-hour mark, which means that it is time for us to move on to the truck series. Now, the truck series, we already know a little bit of information here uh, for the truck series. They'll be racing at Bristol Motor Speedway again Thursday night. Big race night on Thursday night, which is why we're doing this as a broadcast, as a podcast. Uh, That race will take place at 9 p.m. Eastern. They'll be racing 200 laps, and uh, they are going to be three stages. Uh, The stages will end on lap 55, lap 110, meaning that both of those stages are 55 laps, and then 90 laps for the last stage that ends on lap 200, the end of the race. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 as well as MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Now, Sheldon Creed in the number two, he's won the first two races in their first round of 10, and he will start from the Cometic Gasket Pole for the UNOH 200 presented by Ohio Logistics. Now, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race at Bristol Motor Speedway uh, second place will be the number four of John Hunter Nemechek, and then followed by Todd Gilliland, Matt Crafton, and Stuart Friesen to round out the top five. And the next five are Grant Infinger, Chandler Smith, Carson Hosevar, Zane Smith, and Austin Hill. Uh, so uh, the entry list. Uh, we can go ahead and go over that if you want the lineup. Let's do it as a lineup because we've already gone through the top ten. Uh, let's go ahead and start with row six for this race. All right. Let me see if I can find. I was looking for. Is that one through Jayski? Do they have it up? Uh, the line. There it is. Yeah, it is. Okay. Now I I got entry list. I don't have lineup. Uh, if you go to the race page, they've got the lineup link there. All right. Brad, I'll just say this. Brad Kazlowski actually holds the track record uh, and the Camping World Truck Series at this track. Uh, on August 21st of 2014, he had a time of one hour, nine minutes, and 34 seconds. Uh, 35 seconds. His speed was 90. His average speed was 91.919. So uh, that's uh, pretty cool that he still holds that record since 2014 at Bristol. All right. Well, I'll start down at the bottom then, row 20. So we're going to have 40 trucks here at Bristol. That's going to be a lot of trucks on that half mile. Uh, mm-hmm. The starting 40th will be Ray Cicerelli in the number 49. Then we mentioned the number 32, that's going to be Sam Mayer. It's a double-duty night for him because he'll also be racing in that Arkham Menard series and then jumping into the truck to race the truck series. In row 19, we have in the number 33, uh, C.J. McLaughlin, uh, and in the number four, Corey Roper. Row 18, there we got Jennifer Jo Cobb in the number 10 and Taylor Gray in the DGR 17, another one doing double duty. Exactly. And in row 17, we have uh, Clay Greenfield, 
Uh, he'll be in the number 11. And Howie DeSavino the third is back in the number three this weekend, or on Thursday night, I should say. All right, regular, we got Timmy Hill in the number 56, and then Tate Fogelman in the number 12. That's row six. Okay, in the number, in row 15, we have Doug Kobe driving the number 24, Mayhew's Tool Chevrolet, and it, Dawson Cram in the number 41, B Water Chevrolet. Moving up to row 14, Josh Ryum in his cell phone Toyota, the number 34, and Spencer Boyd in the Easy Poles Flag Poles Chevrolet starting in the 27th position with that number 20 truck. In row 13, in the number 40, for Marquis Saw Chevrolet is Ryan Truex, and in the number 45 is Lawless Allen. He'll be back again for the autoparket.com Chevrolet. Rookie Chris Wright is going to help make up row 12 with rookies. He's in the 02 Wright Chevrolet, Wright Chevy Chevrolet. And then another rookie, the number one, Haley Deegan in the Toter Engine Ice Ford for DGR. In row number 11, we have Danny Bone in the number 30 for Rustoleum Toyota. And Tanner Gray will be in the number 15 Ford Performance Ford. Row 10, getting to the top of the list. The number nine, that'll be Colby Howard in the Grant Country Malt Chevrolet. And Chase Purdy with the BamaBuggies.com Chevrolet, number 23. And that's the 19th starting spot. Row number nine, we have in the number 26, Lyuna Chevrolet, Tyler Ankrum. And in the number 25, Rackley Roofing Chevrolet is Josh Berry. Row number eight, the 16th spot, that'll be the number 22 of Austin Wayne Self and the GoTexan AM Technical Solution Chevrolet and the Incredible Bank Toyota number 19. That'll be Derek Krause starting in the 15th spot. Row number seven, Parker Kligerman is back in the number 75, Lucas Bean Ford Country USA Toyota, and Johnny Sauter will be driving his Number 13, farmpate.com, Toyota. Row number five, the top ten, the sixth. No, row number uh, six. The sixth, no, oh, I'm sorry, I missed number Row number six, the 12th spot, that'll be Drew Dollar in the KBM number 51, Sunbelt Rentals, Toyota. And then Ben Rhodes in the Bombardier Learjet 75, Toyota, number 99. Okay. Uh, now, we've already covered these, but we'll go ahead and cover them again because we're giving you a little bit more information about each driver. But in row number five, the number 10 will be driven – I'm sorry, the number 16 will be driven by Austin Hill in the ASIN Toyota. And in the number 21, Diecast King Chevrolet is Zane Smith. Row number four, the outside, that'll be the A starting spot. And the number 42 of Carson Hosovar, rookie in the playoffs, CircleBDieCast.com Chevrolet. And Chandler Smith, another rookie that made the playoffs, that's the number 18 for Cowbush Motorsports. And he's in the Safe Light Auto Glass Toyota 
Okay. Go ahead and do the next one. I've got to send a message here real quick. All right. Now, this one, Ed, the playoff drivers are all starting towards the front, but it is set based off of actual owner points. So the third row, sixth starting spot, is the 98 of Grant Enfinger, uh, champion curb records Toyota. And then Stuart Friesen in the number 52, Palmar International Toyota. That'll be your fifth spot. Fourth spot, your top two rows. The fourth spot will be the number 88, Matt Crafton, the Great Lakes Menards Toyota. And the Speedco Ford, uh, number 38, will be Todd Gillen for Front Row Motorsports. And your front row here in the truck series, talked about it, the championship, top two championship contenders right now. John Hunter Nemechek will be in the number four, Mobile One Toyota for Cowbush Motorsports. And then Sharon mentioned winning the first two races so far in the playoffs, Sheldon Creed in the liftkitsforless.com number two Chevrolet. Okay. Uh, so there you have it. That is the lineup for uh, this group this weekend, uh, the Camping World Truck Series. There is some Goodyear tire notes here uh, that we can cover. Uh, it's again, they'll be racing 500 laps over 266.5 miles. Uh, again, it's race number 29. Um, uh, okay. The storyline for Bristol, Bristol presents a triple challenge for NASCAR teams when it comes to Bristol Motor Speedway, because teams are going to face a trio of challenges. First, it's the high banks around the track creating higher speeds and, lo- and loads than any other. It's relatively flatter, short track. These teams will race late in the season. So including last week's stop at Richmond Raceway in the upcoming Martinsville Speedway. Second, Bristol has a full concrete surface, which wears tires pretty aggressively when the track is green with no rubber buildup on it. So Goodyear designs its tread compounds for Bristol to take the right amount of rubber to create multiple racing grooves, but not so much that it upsets the cars and the trucks that are on the track. Third, Goodyear, uh, NASCAR, and the track operations staff really work together to apply the PJ1 grip compound, compound to the lower four feet of both sets of corners for this weekend's races. Uh, This will speed along the development of a second racing groove, giving drivers an alternate lane in order to pass. Uh, Back to the concrete tire setup, teams in all three of NASCAR's national series will run on the same tire setup at Bristol this week. This is the same combination of left and right side tires that teams in all three of these series ran at Bristol in 2020. Uh, It's the only track in which the cup teams will run either of these two tire codes in 2021. Unlike on most NASCAR ovals, one mile or less in length, and which teams generally do not run inner liners in their tires. Teams are required to run liners in their right side tires only at Bristol. The air pressure in those inner liners should be 12 to 25 PSI, greater than that of the outer tire. 
So uh, that's just some information uh, for the tire. You want to give the um, uh, information here as far as, uh, I'm sorry, the Camping World Truck Series race is going to be race number 18 for that series. They're racing 200 laps or 106.6 miles. We'll cover the other series when we get to those series. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the tire itself and the tire limits. Jay, are you still there? Yeah, I was at where you were pulling that from because I, I, that was all it had under the Goodyear uh, Fast Facts for Bristol. Okay, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, cover it then. Uh, the Goodyear, they'll be running Goodyear Eagle Speedway radials. Uh, the Cup has ten sets for the race, Xfinity four sets for the race, and the Truck Series have four sets for the race. Now, the left side code uh, is the D4860. The right side code is D4962. Uh, the left side circumference is 2,223 millimeters. That's uh, 87.52 inches. The right side is 2,250 millimeters. That's 88.58 inches. The minimum required inflation for the left front is 20 PSI. For the left rear, it is 18 PSI. For the right front, it is 45 PSI, and for the right rear, it is 40 PSI. So uh, there you have it uh, for this Bristol Motor Speedway uh, 2021. With with that, I noti- notice when you read that, it says the minimum recommended inflation. Uh, yeah. t- different teams do different strategies with that, and that sometimes is what leads to some of these issues at Bristol Motor Speedway. Uh, teams uh, maybe not adhering to that recommendation. Exactly right. So please keep that in mind. Uh, that's sometimes what causes them to blow out their tires is that they push that PSI beyond the recommended limit, and uh, they end up uh, uh, using up their tires much more quickly than if they use the recommended limit. It's that risk versus reward that uh, everybody looks for. And I know starting out on that lower and letting them build up that pressure uh, gives you that advantage. But you, like you said, there's that risk with it of where it costs you, depending on what the tire does. Uh, and we've seen it in the past. Team crew chiefs think, think they're making the right call and trying to give their driver that advantage, but it ends up biting them in the end. It really does. It really does. Um is there any quick news we can cover, Jay, in the truck series specifically? Uh, for the truck series, I know we had uh, mentioned when we did the driver lineup there, um, a couple of drivers just look at, looking at the entry list and, and the lineup. Uh, I'm trying to think where it was driving for Spencer Davis. They had put yeah, in Clay there. Yeah, Greenfield's going to drive for Spencer Davis. Greenfield, there we go. Yeah. Um, several, uh, this several different, several different drivers in in the lineup, which 
again, I think is a great mix. I know it's a playoff race, especially the cutoff race for the Camping World Truck Series round number one. But we talked about it with Sam Mayer winning uh, last year, picking up that win. I think that really adds some intrigue to this Truck Series race. Yeah, I think this is their elimination race, Jay. They're going to eliminate two drivers after this race. It is for round number one, indeed, the elimination race. Yeah. And right now, the ones on that line are Zane and Chandler Smith. Uh, 2052 for Chandler Smith. Zane Smith at 2059. They don't have a big gap up to Austin Hill in eighth at 2064. Carson Hosevar, 2067. But again, it's you can't do it on your own. Even a good run, if the driver in front of you has a good run, you don't gain many points. Exactly right. And at the top of those lists, I think uh, two or three of those drivers have already secured their spot into the next uh, round. We know Sheldon Creed has with his two wins, but so has John Hunter Nemechek, I believe. Yes, John Hunter Nemechek has, and that goes back to the 50 playoff points he had built up throughout the regular season with his five victories. So following their second race, he was locked in on points. That does give them a little bit more freedom and breathing room, and that's why they worked so hard during the regular season to have that cushion and and those points in the playoff bucket. And real quick, how close are those guys at the cutoff line? Who, Who are their competitors? Okay, like I said, Chandler and Zane Smith at 2052-2059. So you're talking five points up to Austin Hill, uh, nine points, um, eight points up to Carson Hosevar. Todd Glenn only another three up. Ben Rhodes is another four up. So that's Ben Rhodes fifth through tenth is uh, points-wise where you're really looking at it being an issue. Now the win and you move on, I mean, that's a lock, so that's where the win becomes so important. I think for Zane Smith and Austin Hill, that's the best thing they can look at, because if not, even if you get second or third, then you're dependent on how many points your other drivers made or didn't make. Uh, And, again, it would go back to some unfortunate luck for somebody else that is going to move you on. And then there's those drivers below the cut line, uh, well, actually, they're racing for that number 11 spot. And that's where that's where you find Sam Mayer, Derek Krause, Grant Infinger. And we know he gets to start up there in the mix with those top drivers uh, based on the owner points uh, that he had collected. Unfortunately, did not get the waiver for the playoffs, missing one race but has shown all year long he's capable of running in the top five, top ten. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, Next up we're going to cover the um, Food City 300 that uh, is for the Xfinity Series at Bristol Motor Speedway, 7.30 p.m. on Friday, September the 17th. Uh, Their stages are 85 uh, 85 and 130 laps. Uh, they'll be racing a distance of 150 miles. Uh, let me go to that race page because I can give you a little bit more detail. Uh, they are the radio coverage. It's 300 laps. The radio coverage, um, TV coverage will be on NBC Sports Network 
and radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Uh, for the first time this season, Noah Gregson is going to start from the pole for the Food City 300 uh, for the Xfinity Series. Uh, and his junior motorsports teammate, Justin Algauer, will start alongside him on the front row. Then it will be Ty Gibbs in third, Daniel Hemrick, and Justin Haley rounding out the top five. The next five drivers will be Harrison Burton, Jeb Burton, Riley Erbst, Austin Sindrick, and... A.J. Allmendinger. Now, they complete the top 10. Uh, Based on points, Timmy Hill in the number 13 will not be able to compete in this event. So let's go ahead and cover uh, the rest of the lineup here, uh, starting on row 20, Jay. All right, down to row 20. Mentioned Timmy Hill, the one that is not eligible. So the 40th spot going to go to the 74 Chevrolet of Bailey Curry. Bailey Curry, and the number 52 that'll be Greg Galding in the Panny American UFC Prism Chevrolet. Okay, and row 19 in 38th position in the Black Oak Contracting Toyota is Chad Fincham in the number 61. In the number 15 is B.J. McLeod for Team J.D. Motorsports.com Chevrolet. Row 18 on the outside, spot 36, as a regular guest here on Fan for Racing. The 07 of Joe Graff Jr. with his bucked-up energy Chevrolet. And then the number 4, Landon Castle for Team J.D. Motorsports.com. Okay, in row seven, number 17, in uh, the car number 17, is Carson Ware for Pounds Property Management Chevrolet. And Spencer Boyd will be in the number 90 for DGM Racing Chevrolet. Row 16, here you got the 31 of Sage Karam in the Bomarito Automotive Group Chevrolet. And Ty Dillon in the R Sports number 23. Hometown Lender Chevrolet. Row number 15 in the number 48 is Jade Buford, a rookie. He'll be driving the big machine spike cooler Chevrolet. Uh, And in the number zero this weekend for Forever Lawn Chevrolet is Jeffrey Earnhardt. Row number 14 outside will be spot 28. That'll be the number six of rookie Ryan Vargas in the Voyager Chevrolet. And in the number five, Stefan Parsons in the JF Electric Chevrolet. Row number 13 in the number 99 for Soco Digital Chevrolet is Matt Mills. Driving the number 78, David's Electric Chevrolet, is Jesse Little. One of my favorite paint schemes, the Whataburger Toyota, the number 66 of <laughs> David Starr. I'll start on the 24th spot outside row 12. To his inside, we've seen a lot out of him lately. Tommy Joe Martins in the number 44, Gilreth Farms Red Angus Chevrolet. That's a food row well, right there. <laughs> there you go. In row number 11 on the outside, in the number 8, Tire Pro Chevrolet is another rookie, Sam Mayer. And in the number 26, Snap Mobile Shop Alternate Toyota, on the inside is Brandon Godovic. 
All right, returning to the R2, R Motorsports 02, that'll be Brett Moffitt in the Freight Auction Chevrolet, and then Kyle Weatherman in the number 47, sponsored by Axe Cosbos, and he's in the Chevrolet. Row number nine on the outside in the number 92 is Josh Williams for Work Pro Tool Chevrolet, and in the number two uh, in the Crossley Furniture Chevrolet is Myatt Snyder. Row number eight, that'll be Brandon Jones in the JGR number 19, a Yee Toyota. And Michael Annette, junior motorsports driver number one in the PFJ Thank a Trucker Chevrolet. In row number seven on the outside in the number 36 is Alex LeBay. He'll be in the Prolon Rousseau Silver Wax Chevrolet. And Jeremy Clements will be in the number 51, driving the All-South Electric Chevrolet. Row six. There we have another Sieg. That'll be the RSS, Orion Sieg, number 39, CMR Construction and Roofing, A-game Ford on the side of that. And then Jabs Construction on the side of the number 68 Chevrolet for Brandon Brown. Okay, again, we've already mentioned all these drivers, but we'll give you a little bit more information here. In row number five, starting in the 10th place, is A.J. Allmendinger driving the number 16, Barber Precast Chevrolet. And in the number 22 is Austin Sendrick driving the Menards Richmond Ford. A spot, that'll be the number 98, Stuart Haas Racing Monster Energy Ford of Riley Herbst. And in the seventh spot, that'll be the number 10, a Dynagro Seed Chevrolet of Jeb Burton. Okay, another Burton holds the number six spot. Harrison Burton will be driving the number 20, Dex Imaging Toyota. And in the number 11, uh, starting in fifth spot, is Justin Haley for the Leap Filter Gutter Protection Chevrolet. Getting into your top four, the 18, Daniel Hemrick, going to start in that four spot with the Poppy Bank and Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota alongside teammate Ty Gibbs in a Monster Energy Toyota number 54. And Gibbs, again, as a rookie this year. Okay. And on our front row in the number seven, Brant Chevrolet is Justin Algauer hailing from Riverton, Illinois. And in the number nine is Noah Gregson, the pole spot. Uh, he'll be in the Bath Pro Shops True Timber BRCC Chevrolet. And that was that was one of those uh, sharing side dishes. There, I was like, it didn't tell me where uh, <laughs> Justin Algar's from, but somebody just knows that off the top of their head. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, hailing from Illinois myself. I'm an Illinois girl. Okay, the track record here is held by Elliot Sadler. This one dates back to 2012, Jay. On March 17th, his time was 1 hour 41 minutes and 16 seconds. His average speed was 94.74. So uh, congratulations to Elliot Sadler for still holding on to that record. We'll see if anybody can break that record this weekend. Certainly could happen. I know we haven't seen quite the same speeds that we did back in, in Elliott Sadler's day uh, due to the combination. We've talked about the tire tire setup as well as then the uh, 
horsepower package that they have there. We'll have to wait and see how close they come with that. Okay. Um, I am multitasking here, so let me get back on track here. Um, Let's go ahead. We've kind of covered most of the uh, tire notes here already, but just a refresher uh, that uh, it's race number 26. Uh, and this is their season finale, I believe, isn't it, Jay? This weekend? Yep. This is this will wrap up their regular season uh, battle, which will be between Austin Sindrick and AJ Allmendinger. Yes, uh, they'll be racing 159.9 miles, covering a dis- oh, over 300 laps. And then for the Xfinity Series, they have four set tires uh, for this particular race. So uh, that's something to kind of keep in mind here as well. Let's go over the series point standings for the Xfinity Series. All right. Mentioned that the the regular season championship battle right now, A.J. Allmendinger holds a five-point lead over Austin Sindrick. Sindrick held it most of the year here in the last month. Allmendinger able to catch him and pass him. Had, I think, a 20-point gap, but it's back down to five. Uh, on the year, 25 starts. A.J. has three wins and nine stage wins, which gives him 24 playoff points. He's been building that as of late. Hendrick had five wins as well as nine stage wins, so already had 34 playoff points built up. Third spot is Justin Algar. Two wins in the stage is 11 playoff points. He's 121 back, so the regular season championship is down to A.J. Allmendinger and Austin Sindrick. Then you got Daniel Hemrick in fourth. No wins, but six stage wins. He's got six playoff points built up. Harrison Burton, no race wins, but two stage wins for two playoff points. In the last uh, two weeks, it's been Noah Gregson in that number nine for Junior Motorsports. Picked up two race wins. He's got three stage wins which gives him now a total of 13 playoff points, which looks like third most as it is right now. Bottom half here, the other six, Justin Haley, one win, five stage wins for 10 playoff points. Jeb Burton, one win in one stage, gives him six playoff points. Jeremy Clements in the ninth spot, no wins or no stages, so doesn't have any playoff points built up as of yet. Then you got Brandon Jones in 10th, has one stage win for one point. Riley Herbst doesn't have any. And 12th place is Myatt Schneider with one race win for five playoff points. Michael Annette missed four races, but still in the 13th spot at 524. Needs to make up 34 points. That's a lot to make up in one race. It can be done, but going to have to do that. If he does make it in, he is eligible for the NASCAR waiver as far as being eligible for the playoffs. Then in 14th, you got Ty, uh, sorry, 14th is Ryan Sieg at 497. That's a 63 point. That is mathematically impossible. So Ryan Sieg on down, got to pick up the win. Ty Gibbs not eligible for the playoffs in 15th. Brandon Brown, another one, would need the victory to pull it off and get into that 12 spots for the playoffs. 
And then Josh Berry, another one, a rookie that is not eligible for the playoffs, only making 18 starts. The other ones that are still eligible, if they pick up the win, would be Josh Williams in 18th, Alex LeBay in 19th, Tommy Joe Martins in 20th. Uh, 25th is Landon Castle, has made all 25 starts. So he would not only have to win, but also move into the top 20 in points in order to be eligible. Okay, I've got some breaking news here, Jay, that I'm going to get into real quick. Really? The 2020, yes, the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series schedule just came out. And the clash, as we know, is going to be at the LA Coliseum on February the 6th to kick off the season. And then it goes to uh, the duel at Daytona on February the 17th and the Daytona 500 on February the 20th. Uh, the rest of this looks pretty standard. You go to Auto Club Speedway to close out February. And then in March, you have Las Vegas, Phoenix, Atlanta, and Circuit of the Americas is back on the schedule for March 27th. Uh, then in April, you've got Richmond, Martinsville, the Bristol Dirt, and then Talladega to close out April. In May, it's Dover, Darlington, Kansas, the All-Star Race at Texas on May 22nd, and then Charlotte Motor Speedway on May 29th. Uh, new this year on June 5th is Worldwide Technology Raceway for the Cup Series. Then uh, to continue out for June, you've got Sonoma Nashville Speedway on June 26th. Uh, and then in July, you've got Road America, Atlanta, new date for Atlanta, uh, New Hampshire, and Pocono to close. Uh, well, the Indianapolis Road Course will actually close out the July schedule. In August, it's Michigan, Richmond, Watkins Glen, and Daytona will be the season finale for the regular season championship. Start off at Darlington in September, uh, then Kansas, Bristol, and then it goes to Texas September the 25th. Uh, October 2nd is Talladega. Um, Talladega, Charlotte Robo will be a uh, cutoff race. Then they go to Las Vegas in October. Homestead, Miami is a new date for them, October the 23rd. And Martinsville will be the penultimate race uh, before the season finale on November the 6th at Phoenix. Uh, some quick thoughts there on, on that. Well, I know we'll talk about this in Hot Topics as well. I was going to say that was, that was my first thought is I guess we got some Hot Topics. Uh, the two that we, we had talked about had kind of been leaked out already. The clash opening up at the Coliseum and then the addition of Gateway. A couple of different dates there you mentioned. Miami going back into the playoffs, uh, not this season of finale, as that's going to stay at Phoenix for yet another year. But they do move back into the playoffs. And then Pocono losing a date. Um I, I like it. Mm-hmm. I like the schedule. I like that the, there wasn't any major changes. Uh, the couple of small ones, Adam Gateway, we've talked about. We all think that's a great deal. Unfortunate for the loss of the one Pocono race then. Um, we'll see how they continue to massage that in the year, years to come here. But uh, not a, like I said, not a lot of big changes. A couple of, a couple of date changes. The, the one thing that got mentioned there, and hopefully it goes through, I know we've had the, the COVID issue in the past, but California 
Speedway now going to be a half-mile short track instead of the two-mile track. Uh, That's going to be a real interesting uh, situation there when we go out to California. Yes, indeed. So uh, uh, anyway, and the Coliseum, that is huge. Uh, for the Coliseum as well. So some some interesting things here. We'll talk more in depth during our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, but uh, I wanted to get that late-breaking news out as it was happening here on our podcast. So, uh, again, this is the season finale for the Xfinity Series. We're going to know who the champion is uh, when this race is over. Uh, and uh, then they start their playoff events, and that means double points for our Fan for Racing Fantasy group, Jay. Yes, it does. Uh, that'll put all three series in, and I'll do some calculations on that. At this point, I don't think any of the series, even Andy on the Cup Series, I think uh, is still mathematically in it, but he's sticking by Briscoe. He said he was going to, and he has done so, so... Uh, not mathematically out yet. He's in a bit of a hole, and Briscoe might have to start winning those races to get him those 16 extra points. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, we're going to have to move on to the Bass Pro Shops NRA night race for the Cup Series here. That race is Saturday night under the lights, September the 18th at Bristol Motor Speedway. It will start at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on NBC Sports Network with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. Now, um, we do know that Martin Truex Jr. will start from the pole for the Bass Pro Shops NRA night race for the Cup Series. Denny Hamlin will be alongside him on the front row. And then it will be Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, and Kyle Larson to round out the top five, followed by Christopher Bell, Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, and Brad Keselowski to round out the top ten. So we'll go ahead and move on to the lineup there for the Cup Series. All right, we got 38 starters here. The 38th spot will be the 66, David Starr. This one's going to be a naked market Toyota. And then James Davison in a Chevrolet, the number 15. Okay, and row 18, starting in the 36th spot, is Garrett Smithley driving his Chevrolet. And then in 35th is J.J. Yaley driving the Nurtec ODT Chevrolet. The double zero, that'll be Quinn Hauf in the Boss Haas Clyde Chevrolet. And the 52, Josh Balicki, Insurance King Ford, will complete row 17. In row 16, starting in the 32nd position, will be B.J. McLeod in the number 78, Honor and Remember Ford. And Corey LaJoy will be in the inside lane in the number 7, driving the number the Schulter Systems Chevrolet. Row number 15 in the 30th spot, that'll be rookie Anthony Alfredo in the front row motorsports number 38, Dude Wipes Forward. To his inside will be the 77 Aspire Motorsports. That'll be Justin Haley with Diamond Creek Water on the side of that Chevrolet. Okay, one of Justin's Haley, Justin Haley's cup events. In row number 14, is Bubba Wallace driving the number 23 McDonald's Toyota, and Ryan Priest will be on the inside driving the number 37 Viva Chevrolet. 
26th starting spot. That'll be the number 41 of Cole Custer in the Autodesk HaasTooling.com Ford. And another Ford to his inside. That'll be the Fastenal Ford, number 17 of Chris Busher. Okay. And let me get my place here. I lost my place. Okay. In row 12, uh, in the number six, Kohler Generators Ford is Ryan Newman. And driving the number 47 Kroger Chevrolet is Ricky Stenhouse, Jr. I feel honored to get to mention the number 43 RPM. That'll be the U.S. Air Force (laughs) Tuskegee Airmen Chevrolet. And then Daniel Suarez in the number 99 Coca-Cola Chevrolet completes row 11. Spoken as a true Air Force Mm vet. Okay, and number 10 in the number 14 Rush Truck Center's coming forward is Chase Briscoe, the rookie. Matt DiBenedetto will be in the number 21 restraw tight board. Row number nine, there we have RCR, number three, Austin Dillon in the Bass Pros Tracker Off-Road Chevrolet. Let's hope he don't go off-road at Bristol. The number 42, that's Ross Chastain in the Moose Fraternity Chevrolet. And I apologize to everyone for the dings that are happening in the background here. I'm getting all the press releases from all the different tracks about their race for 2022. So uh, my apologies if you hear those dings. That's what that's all about. Okay, in row number eight, driving the number 34 Love Travel Stop Ford is Michael McDowell. And in the Monster Energy Chevrolet number one is Kurt Busch, a playoff driver. Look at Yeah, we're into the playoff drivers now, and it looks like, I don't know why it doesn't have Michael McDowell listed as a playoff driver, but he should be. Yeah, he should be a Uh, a playoff driver as well. Yep. Uh, These are the ones that maybe happen to look to win this race to move on. The number 24, William Byron in the Exalta Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports, and then Tyler Reddick in the RCR number 8 Chevrolet that raced his way in on points to get into the playoffs. In row number six, starting in the 12th position, is Eric Almarola driving the number 10 Smithfield Ford. And in the number 11th position, in the number 48, is Alex Bowman for Ali Chevrolet. Your top 10, starting in the 10th spot, that'll be the Penske number two of Brad Keselowski. Uh, discount Tires as his sponsor this week on that Ford. And then the M&M's Toyota will be the number 18 of Kyle Busch. Row number four. Again, we've mentioned these drivers, but we'll mention them again with a little more detail. Kevin Harvick will be in the number eight spot, driving the number four Subway Delivery Ford. And driving the number 12, Menards Richmond Ford, is Ryan Blaney. First time in the playoffs, the number 20, that's Christopher Bell, going to be in the Sirius XM Toyota. You can catch a lot of race coverage on Sirius XM. And Kyle Larson, your top contender right now, or one of at least, in the number five Valvoline Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports. Also the regular season champion. In row number two, 
In row number two, driving the number nine Hooters Chevrolet, is Chase Elliott. And on the inside, driving the number 22 Shell Pennzoil Ford, is Joey Logano. Excuse me. Now, obviously, championship contenders winning the first two races of the 2021 playoffs. Outside of row number one, the number 11 FedEx Freight Toyota be Denny Hamlin. And last week's winner in the Bass Pro Shops Toyota, the number 19 for Joe Gibbs Racing, is Martin Truex Jr. Okay. And, uh, yeah, this is going to be an exciting race. This is an elimination race for the Cup Series. So four drivers will be eliminated when this race is over. Now, the track record, this is the longstanding track record for the Cup Series. Driver Charlie Glockbach, uh, going back to July 11th of 1971, had a time of two hours, 38 minutes, and 12 seconds with a speed of 101.074 miles per hour. So that's a big record here in the Cup Series at Bristol. And that's if you have minimal cautions, and that's uh, not normal at Bristol. <laughs> Exactly right. Now, uh, the last race at the Federated Auto Parts uh, gives us our driver point standings uh, for coming into Bristol Motor Speedway. And you're right, we've got some drivers who uh, their playoff hopes are on the line this weekend at Bristol. So let's cover the series point standings. All right, give me one second to get that pulled up. I know right now Michael McDowell... uh, unfortunately is in that 16th and final spot, and I'm pretty sure he is mathematically in a position of must win. Where did my points go? Whoop, there we go. Give it one second to load here. Uh, Michael McDowell in the 16th spot. There we go. Currently sitting at 2,015 points. William Byron at 2035. Tyler Reddick at 2048. And Alex Bowman at tied at 2053 is in the 13th and cutoff spot. He's tied with Kurt Busch, who's at 12th at 2053. Kurt Busch has the advantage of the best finish in the first two races of this round. Then you got Aaron. Eric Almarola at 2056. Kyle Busch at 2061. And 60 points are available, so technically Michael McDowell is not mathematically in a must-win situation. But again, making up that many points above eight drivers is highly unlikely. Uh, He could get as far as eighth-place Christopher Bell. But like I said, that's pretty much... uh, one wins and one loses, and the rest of them would have to be all at the back. Uh, in between yep. their ninth place right now, Brad Keselowski's at 2066, Christopher Bell at 2070, Chase Elliott at 2072, Harvick at 2078 in the sixth position. Fifth place, Ryan Blaney at 2081, Joey Logano, 2093, and then locked in and moving on, Kyle Larson based on points. Uh, and then Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex 
picking up those victories, already guaranteeing that they're moving on to the next round. So as looking there, mentioned Kurt Busch, Alex Bowman, right on the cut line, tied at 20:53, up to Kevin Harvick. You know, even go as far as Ryan Blaney. That's 30 points. That's half of what's eligible. They're still not real promising as far as racing their way in. But we know Bristol mentioned it with all the other series. They used to they used to say it was like a, a bull in a china shop. I know now they've gone to kind of putting rocks in a blender and turning it on. You know, <laughs> Bristol is just that race. It could it never know what could happen. Yeah, so we've got a lot of elimination races here. We talked about this being the season finale for the Arca Menard Series East. We talked about it being uh, the ninth race in the Chew Chief Showdown. It's uh, the 18th race for the Arca Menard Series out of 20. Uh, so, or is it 17th? Okay, I've forgotten now. And no, it's 18th now race it's for the Truck Series. Yeah, it's the 18th yeah. for the Arca, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, their final three. Oh, okay. And then uh, the. The truck series is an elimination race. They'll be eliminating two drivers. The season finale for the Xfinity series and also an elimination for the cup series when they will be eliminating four drivers. So don't tell me this weekend isn't a huge weekend for racing in NASCAR and the Arkham Menard series. Uh, this is really a very big weekend that people do not want to miss, Jay. Well, you never want to miss a Bristol race at all, uh, if you ask me, but that's a personal opinion, I guess. With with so much else on the line you mentioned, whether it be the round cutoff, regular season championship ending, season finale championship for the Arkham Menards East, yeah, a lot of action going on at Bristol this weekend. And a lot of stakes that are on the line here for these drivers, if they're not racing to stay in, uh, they're out there racing to win. Because for some of these drivers, their only way to guarantee that they're going to move on to the next round is to get a victory. So some of these drivers that are facing elimination are going to be putting everything out on the line to go after that win uh, to get in to the next round of the playoffs for the truck series and the cup series. And then we'll know who the regular season champion is going to be for the Xfinity series, as well as the Arkham Menard series East. So again, I'm super excited for the race weekend. I hope everybody uh, is able to tune in this weekend. Uh, I know it's going to be a big race weekend here in our household. Uh, But uh, Jay, uh, let's uh, give the uh, update on our Fan for Racing Fantasy Group and the point standings there because after this weekend, it's going to be double points all the way around. All right. Well, in the truck series, Sharon, you got a one-point lead over Mike, uh, 76 to 75. Andy's right there in it at 73. I've slid back seven points at 69. Owen's at 67. Sam and Tommy are tied at 64, and James is at 44. So 32 points. That could be done in two races since the truck series are in that double point. For the Xfinity series, this will be the regular season, final uh, single-digit points. 
I got an eight-point lead now, uh, 104. Andy's at 96. Mike at third at 95. Sam, 89. Sharon, 86. James at 81. Tommy at 78. And Owen at 76. So that one, too, is only 28 points. And once we get into the double points, that could easily be done in two races. Mm-hmm. The Cup Series, this one's tight. Uh, up top, I lead by three points now over Sam. 147, Sam at 144. Sharon, you jumped up to 137 with uh, Truex's win. Moved into third. Owens at 135. Mike at 128. And James at 107. Tommy at 105. Andy's at 64, like I mentioned, uh, sticking with Briscoe. Uh, not mathematically eliminated at this point, but he's got a, a big gap to try and cover. From Tommy up, <laughs> it's only 42 points on the cup side. And Again, then the overall. Points, you can make that up. Oh, yeah. Uh, the overall, this one's quite interesting. I'm leading at 320. Sharon jumped to second now at 299. Mike's at 298, Sam at 297. Owen had a couple of good weeks uh, last, or a couple of good races last week's at 278. Tommy at 247, Andy at 233, and James at 232. That one's 98 point difference. But again, with all three series going in, that means there is 48 points available per weekend. So a hundred point gap could be made up. <laughs> okay, uh, so that's pretty cool. I'm I'm really uh, uh, kind of uh, happy that I had good results last week. I hope I can keep that trend going, uh, but we'll see how that goes. Now, a couple of programming notes that I want to make sure that I get in as well. I mentioned earlier that Dean Thompson was on our show on Monday night. If you haven't heard the interview with him, you'll want to go back and listen to that. He was on during the third half hour of the show. Uh, next week, uh, I have a, a driver coming on. His name is uh, Blake Lothian. He is a late model driver. Uh, was two years with the Rev Racing Drive for Diversity program, and now he's kind of branched out on his own. He won last week at Hickory Motor Speedway, and he took the pole, won the race uh, in a twin event there, and uh, we're going to have him on the show uh, this coming Monday night. So uh, definitely looking forward to learning more about Blake Lothian, an up-and-coming late model driver from Hickory Speedway. Uh, and then just like we did this week, we're doing our podcast on Wednesday morning. It will be distributed on Wednesday afternoon. We're going to do the same thing next week. This week we're doing it because of the races from Bristol on Thursday night. Next week it's more of a personal reason for me. It's my birthday weekend. I'm going to get to spend it with my son and my grandson. And uh, I just want to make sure that I have that Thursday night available. So we're going to do the podcast on Wednesday morning. And uh, uh, again, we will distribute it on Wednesday afternoon so that everybody has the race information. There is a race on Thursday night. It is the ARCA West Series that will be racing at uh, the, um, I think it's the Las Vegas Bullring. Let me go back and look. I might have it confused with another race. They'll be racing uh, at the Las Vegas Bullring 
on Thursday night at 7 p.m. Pacific time. So that would be another reason for us to do the show on Wednesday morning. Uh, But uh, you'll be able to watch that race uninterrupted on Thursday night. So um, there you have it, our programming notes for the radio show uh, for the upcoming week and uh, our guest lineup for Monday night. So with that, Jay, we're coming up on uh, 11.30 p.m. Or a.m. Eastern Time, and uh, it is time for us to get into our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And one of our participants is here already, and it is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Well, first and foremost, a big hey to everybody. It's good to be back. But more importantly, I also have a very important public announcement to make. I am a man of my word, and Jay Hostman has actually won a bet legitimately this time. He has won a bet, and I will be making good on that, paying Jay this afternoon. Uh, if you don't remember the bet, uh, a few months back, and it was quite a few months back, I bet Jay that Josh Berry would win a third race in a junior motorsports car before Noah Gregson did. Well, at Darlington, Noah Gregson won his third race in a junior motorsports car, and therefore Jay won the bet. So... At this very moment in time, I have a case of Mountain Dew Voodoo sitting in the back of my car. And after we get done doing the show today, I'll find some time to meet up with Jay in town and hand it over. I'm sure it's going to be well shaken by the time you get to his house from the back of your truck. (laughs) Well, it's been sitting out in the sun for the past two weeks, so it should be good and fermented, too. (laughs) Oh, boy. Also, I thought you were going to do this. <laughs> that was a good idea. I wish I thought of that one. <laughs> it's Jay Hughesman's birthday. Well, well so we once again, a- again, thank you for the for the song, Sharon. And just so you know, it doesn't even matter if that Mountain Dew is heated up because I may not drink that. It's going to go on a trophy case. <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, so, well, thank you for making good on the bet, Mike. Uh, I know you guys have a lot of fun with that, and and that's uh, always a good thing. And uh, we're definitely uh, looking forward to the next bet. Okay, so we had some breaking news during our show today. Uh, The lineup came out for the uh, NASCAR Cup Series, Mike. I don't know if you've caught up with that news yet. Have you? Uh, the lineup for are you talking about next year's schedule, or is there something else that's come out more recently than that? Next next year's schedule. Yeah, I, I was I've been ready to talk about next year's schedule. Obviously, that's the uh, the biggest hot topic. I've actually got it pulled up here, ready to discuss. Okay, awesome. So let's go ahead and get into that. We'll let you start us off. Sure. Like you said, um, we've been getting some rumors and tidbits and some kind of dripping leaks over the past few days regarding the NASCAR Cup Series schedule for 2022. It has now officially been released. It's not as radical of a change from the previous year as last year's uh, schedule announcement was the schedule that we're currently running right now, but there are some big notable changes in there. First and foremost, the season opening exhibition race to clash is moving away from Daytona international speedway for the first time since 1979. Instead of being held at Daytona, it's going to be run on a quarter mile short track inside of the LA Coliseum. 
Um, we can talk about that a little bit independently in terms of the track configuration, but that's going to be the first time the Gen 7 car is on a racetrack being driven competitively is at the LA Coliseum in the clash. The other notable addition to the schedule is Pocono has lost a date, and that date is going to Worldwide Technology Raceway and Gateway uh, in the St. Louis market area. We have seen truck races and Xfinity races at Gateway, but this is the first time the NASCAR Cup Series is going to be racing at Gateway. So those are the two big major changes to talk about for next year's schedule, at least that I've seen so far. And what are your thoughts about those changes? Uh, Overall, I like them. Um, The the logistics of the L.A. Coliseum thing, there's good and there's bad. Uh, I think it's going to devalue speed weeks in Daytona. It used to be a big – I mean, if you wanted to roll in the 24-hour race, it was almost a month-long affair. And we used to do this when I was a kid. We would go to – we'd bring the camper over to Daytona for the the 24-hour race weekend. We'd set up shop in the infield for the 24-hour race. We'd watch that. And then we just drag the camper outside the gate and camp outside of the racetrack for the next two weeks because the next weekend you had Daytona 500 pole qualifying, and then you had the duels on Thursday, and then you had the Xfinity race or, the, you know, the Bush Series race at that point, and you had uh, the Daytona 500. But in addition to that Daytona 500 qualifying day, you also had the Bush Clash on the same day as Daytona 500 pole qualifying. And that was a big draw because it was an actual race versus just qualifying. So not having the Clash at Daytona on that same weekend as Daytona 500 qualifying, I think is going to hurt overall attendance and interest in Speed Weeks as a whole. So hopefully the trade-off with getting into the Los Angeles market is worth it. We'll see how that pans out. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I know Mike hadn't been able to be on uh, the show. We had kind of with the leaked information on this, had this discussion. Pretty much uh, all kind of have that same uh, thought process of it does kind of take away from Daytona and the Speed Weeks, but we've seen that in years past. And I know Kevin Harvick was one that talked about it, of having kind of liking the shortened uh, trip to Daytona. You don't have preseason testing no more. Uh, that's when Mike left off. It used to be actually could be considered two months because the teams were down there for preseason testing mm-hmm. and their kickoff with uh, new drivers, uh, media sessions and stuff in January, then come back for the two weeks plus of speed weeks. Um, so that's one where finding that balance between the fans and the drivers, the logistics like Mike mentioned of that first race being out in LA kind of uh, concerning if you will it's not for all the teams so uh, that's not as big a concern but it is interesting to see how this works out how they do this within the Coliseum I do like the fact that NASCAR is exploring new options and trying new things so with that I got to give them credit for that we'll see how this goes I know uh, Tommy, Tommy and I both were kind of uh, thinking the all-star race would have been one to do maybe out, out at the Coliseum instead of the Clash and keep that with Daytona. I, I know I gave Tommy a hard time. He said he likes it the way it is. You know, it's old school. And I said he's not old enough to be old school <laughs> with that of, from that aspect. But it really was part of the Daytona experience. So we'll have to see how fans react to that. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, so far I've seen positive comments. I haven't really noticed any of the fan comments yet, but uh, as far as the driver comments, they all seem to be kind of hyped about racing at the L.A. Coliseum, which is a huge venue, uh, and they are preparing a track specifically for this race at that Coliseum. Now, I'm one, I really don't have a problem with it. I kind of see the marketing aspect of it, of reaching out to do a West Coast season opener uh, as, as well as an East Coast season opener with the duels and, and the Daytona 500. Uh, I think they've left enough time in there for drivers with the uh, L.A. Coliseum being on February the 6th, and the duel doesn't actually take place until February the 17th. So, and then, of course, the Daytona 500 on the 20th. So, I then they're going to be going back to uh, California for the Auto Club on February the 27th. Uh, so, I, I think it's kind of a great idea, really, to have a West Coast season opener. I think it's, it's NASCAR's way of reaching out to them and wanting to include them as part of the festivities. Of, in, of opening up the season, so I I applaud it, and I think I think it's a really good idea. Uh, we'll have to see how the fans react to it because that, like I have admitted to, I haven't really seen a lot of fan reaction yet. Uh, but uh, I can't think of a better place to go other than Daytona uh, at that time of the year for those of us that are in the Midwest. Uh, if I wanted to go out to California to watch the clash, uh, it would be a cool trip to take at that time of the year. So uh, I think it's a great idea. Uh, some other changes that we didn't mention, Coda's back on the track, but in March instead of in July. I think that's a good idea. Uh, so I'm glad to see Coda back on the schedule. Atlanta actually has two races. Uh, on the schedule. Did I see two races for Atlanta? Yes, I did. Uh, a July race as well as a March race on the schedule. Uh, they'll be back on Bristol Dirt, so I think that's a positive thing. They're, they mentioned the All-Star race being back at Texas again, Worldwide Technology on June the 5th for the Cup Series. They're back at Nashville in June. Um, Another change that we did not mention is a shakeup in the uh, playoff races because Texas is going to be in September this year. Uh, I particularly am super excited about that because I can go visit my Texas family and perhaps go to that race. Uh, and then also Homestead Miami is back on the schedule, and Martinsville is going to be the penultimate race. So Homestead Miami opens up the final or is in the middle of the final um, uh, round of eight, I believe it is. Uh, Las Vegas opens that up. Then it's Homestead Miami and Martinsville is the race just before the season finale at Phoenix. So uh, I do see a little bit of a shakeup in that for this year or for next year. Uh, on the series as well. So, again, I'm glad to see Homestead Miami back in the playoff mix. I think it belongs there, and uh, I think it's a good decision to put it back in that segment of the schedule. So um, we'll go back around the horn here. Mike, what are your follow-up comments? 
I absolutely agree with you about Miami being back in the playoff mix. I think it was, it's been sorely missed there these past two years. Um, Miami was always, I still think Miami was a better uh, finishing race than Phoenix is, you know, a championship race than Phoenix is because we didn't go there other than for the championship race. Miami was always the place for champions, and to have it completely taken out of the playoffs, I think, was a, it was a move too far in the wrong direction. If they wanted to change up the championship race to a different venue, okay, I understand the, the desire to do something different every once in a while, but Miami, like I said, is one of those kind of special racetracks where it deserves a little bit higher billing than just a mid-March nothing race like it's had for the past two seasons. So I'm really glad to see it back in the playoffs there. Um, Pocono, losing a date, I don't think anyone's going to miss that. There's a reason they consolidated it down to one doubleheader weekend for the past two seasons. And remember, that, was, that change was made even before COVID. So it wasn't just a COVID change where they were trying to consolidate Pocono down to one weekend. It's because the Pocono races, this, this year was kind of an exception. They were better than usual. But a lot of times the Pocono races are not the most entertaining races. So having two dates at Pocono, when you had these other tracks like Gateway, or Iowa, obviously Iowa didn't make it on the schedule this year, but there's other tracks out there that a lot of fans feel are more deserving of at least one cup date than Pocono is to have two. So I think that was a good move for there. Um, Bristol Dirt, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I know a lot of fans were. Me, personally, I wasn't a big fan of the Bristol Dirt race. It was it was okay for something to see, but I, I – it is what it is. Um, Coda being back on the schedule is great. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, so hopefully they have a little bit better weather this year, and it's not as much of a melee as it was uh, this past year, and we really get to see Coda shine on its own as a venue where the big story there is the racing and not necessarily the weather conditions that led to the problems that they had there this year. Um, so I think those are all real positive changes. Overall, I'm happy with the schedule. Um, would I like to see them go to a couple different places? Sure. There's always, there's always other racetracks that if they're not on the schedule, you'd like to see them. But at the same time, I think they did really well with what tracks are on the schedule and when they put them where they did for the most part. I the weather's going to be what it's going to be at some places. Uh, and it's going to be unavoidable. But I think they did a pretty good job with it. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. I, I would have to agree. I, most of the changes, uh, with the exception of maybe the, the Coliseum deal, and that's one that I'll hold uh, reservations. Any reservations I have, we'll see how it works out. The placement of the different races, I think they did work in really well, uh, specifically Miami Homestead. Uh, I, I kind of agree with Mike on, on the fact that that was a one-time visit and it was for the championship versus Phoenix where we've been going for a long time, multiple races a year, kind of makes it a difference. But uh, I do think it needed to be back in the playoffs for sure. A couple of the other changes, I know with the worldwide technology, I know Mike mentioned Iowa did not get on the schedule. We haven't seen anything about Chicagoland uh, other than possibly <laughs> playing football there. So I think putting a new track in the Midwest area, I, I know it's not going to please everybody, but it is still in that Midwest market area, um, was a good move. We'll see how the cup cars do on it. The other one was, Mike mentioned, Bristol, the dirt race. And being a dirt guy, I was excited about it. It did not turn out the best, if you will. But I think that is one of those of give it time as they learn from it. Obviously, the weather, just like Coda, 
played a huge factor, uh, but I think they're going to learn from it and be better prepared, and as well as how the cars are going to handle on it. I think we'll see the evolution of that and it become a better event the longer they continue to do it. Okay, a couple of things that I did not mention that are staying the same. Uh, they are going to race the Indianapolis Road Course on July the 31st. The season finale will again be at Daytona. So you've got the season finale and the season opener at Daytona. Uh, and then also Darlington will open up the playoffs. So those are, are things that are going to remain the same. The Charlotte Roval will be featured in the uh, playoffs as well. So just an FYI that those are some of the things that are staying the same. I'm a little surprised that they didn't do a double header uh, this year like they did uh, or next year like they did this year with Pocono or another track for that matter if they wanted to do a double header. Um, but I'm okay with it. I was just surprised to see that they didn't continue that concept and that idea. Uh, so I don't know that it maybe went as well. One of the things that I liked about it is we had the two races over the weekend. They were a little bit shorter races as opposed to longer races, especially at Pocono. I thought that was a good thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they didn't uh, do another double header this year. That would be among my list of surprises on the schedule. So other than that, I'm, I'm kind of excited about the schedule for next year. I think they made some good decisions. And uh, we'll see how it all plays out next season. Okay, so what's our next hot topic, Mike? Uh, well, uh, I know you, I guess you guys talked about it before a little bit regarding the LA Coliseum. We've got a little bit more details regarding the racetrack itself. And they said that it's still to be determined regarding, uh, especially the banking in the corners. They said they're looking at uh, a fairly shallow bank angle, somewhere between zero and five degrees uh, for this quarter mile track. And they've been testing it on iRacing. And I'm interested to see what your thoughts as far as how that, uh, how that track should be configured. Okay, uh, Jay? Yeah, that's beyond me. Uh, the engineers, I don't know if I was it Kyle Bush talked about using simulation and iRacing as far as determining something. We've seen that in the past. Uh, I think Bristol Dirt was another one. That was kind of what they based it off of. Uh, it's really tough to get the full concept of it. Uh, when it comes to iRacing versus actual on-track performance. I think Coda was another one where they talked about that, of what what they wanted to set up um, with iRacing. So I'm a little leery about that, but again, we've seen it in the past. This first one may be a little bit of a rough thing. We'll have to let it develop then of what they do learn from actual on-track performance. Uh, from experience, uh, you know, Think back to the dirt track at Bristol with the event they do in the Dome, the Chili Bowl. When you do an indoor event and are building something inside of another venue like that, there is always going to be some issues. It's a matter of how quickly they can adapt, what they can learn from it, and go from there. Uh, you know, I just talked to my dad this morning. I said, that, you know, and is that, is that going to be an asphalt track or a dirt track? I think it's uh, asphalt. Last I heard, paved asphalt. That, that to me, the amount of money then of to do an asphalt track, temporary asphalt track, is a little concerning. Obviously, that shouldn't give like dirt does, 
when I view my experiences from Bristol or the Dome. Um, so asphalt's a little bit different, the cost of it, but like my dad said, you know, the cost of putting dirt on Bristol was a huge expense and hopefully will turn out to be better and grow. So I'm willing to give it a chance. Like I said, my, my thing is more about the whole taking it away from the Daytona and the tradition of it being at Daytona, but I am not going to hold it against it. I am looking forward to see what they do. And I, um, are you, okay, I, I'm sorry, I am multitasking today. I've got a lot of people contacting me that don't realize I'm doing the podcast this morning, I guess. And uh, I've been a little distracted. Can you refresh the topic for me, please? Sure. A couple, couple pieces on it is the use of iRacing in terms of uh, trying to develop the track at uh, the L.A. Coliseum as far as what's your thoughts of what this track might end up looking like. Uh, okay. Yes, I, I would have to agree with Jay. Uh, I was looking for the uh, release on it. Uh, because, yeah, this is something that, uh, uh, let me see, that's the schedule, um, that when I saw it and they said that it was, they were preparing a track specifically for the racing, uh, my thought was that has to be a temporary track. And I'm pretty sure they did say that it was an asphalt track. Um, so iRacing does some support for these drivers as far as helping them. I don't know that they're going to, are they going to have iRacing support for the LA Coliseum? It's already out on iRacing. It's publicly available on iRacing right now. I'm not sure exactly what configuration they have, but yeah, the the public can be, uh, can access LA Coliseum and race there. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I'm sure drivers will be utilizing that as a resource. It's not going to be the be all end all, but it will certainly be helpful to them, I think. Uh, but um, I think that uh, the drivers seem to be kind of pumped about it from some of the things that I've seen on, on Twitter anyway, uh, pumped about going to the Coliseum because there's so many historic things that happen at the L.A. Coliseum. It's kind of like going to Indianapolis uh, and the historic nature of racing on that track and the feeling that drivers get. There is an aura that happens when you go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I would kind of imagine that same kind of aura happening when they go to the L.A. Coliseum. Uh, so I think, I think a lot of people are pretty pumped about it. And uh, I'm kind of pumped because it is going to bring, uh, bring in, hopefully, a, a big audience uh, to that Coliseum. My fear about it is that, um, the LA Coliseum is huge, and if, if we have 100 120,000 people that show up at the LA Coliseum, it's going to look like it's empty. So I think fans are going to rush to a judgment that maybe it wasn't successful because the Coliseum looks empty. But there, if 120,000 people show up, that's going to be a huge event. If 60,000 people show up, it's going to be huge. It's going to be similar to a full house at Bristol. So I, I, I worry about the perception of its success based on the size of the Coliseum. But I'm, I'm kind of uh, excited about it. So let's go with the next round. Mike? Well, actually, the L.A. Coliseum's seating capacity is only listed, I just Googled it, 78,467. 
is the uh, the capacity oh, okay. for the LA Coliseum. So yeah, it's not like some of the uh, you know, Alabama or Ohio State, some of those giant college football stadiums that can seat two hundred thousand people. Uh, the Coliseum is big. You're absolutely correct, but it's not to that scale. So typical crowds at NASCAR races these days, it seems to be somewhere in the forty to fifty thousand person range, with the exception of special ones like Daytona, Talladega, Bristol, things like that, which will bring a higher crowd. But it seems like forty thousand plus or minus about ten seems to be the sweet spot for attendance. So if we double that to the uh, to you know sixty to eighty thousand, we're right there at the capacity of the LA Coliseum. So I think that's probably about right in terms of an expected fan capacity. And hey. Everyone likes being uh, being part of an exclusive club, right? So if the place is sold out and people can't get tickets, well, the people who do have tickets, they get that little extra uh, benefit of, of being able to feel like they're at something exclusive that not everyone had the opportunity to participate in. So with regard to iRacing, um, I'm kind of with Kyle Bush on this one. I think it's overrated as a tool in terms of um, – preparing for a race or getting things ready in terms of uh, track configuration, track layout, stuff like that. I did dabble in iRacing for a little while. I know there's a lot of people who are really deep into it, and, man, do they get deep into it. But the problem with iRacing is they've created this identity around it that, that convinces people that, hey, if I'm good in iRacing, I'm a big-time race car driver. And it's like the kind of people who go on Microsoft Flight Simulator and spend you know, months and months and months playing Microsoft Flight Simulator, and now suddenly they feel like they're some sort of a qualified airline pilot, and that's just that's, that's not, the, not the thing either. Um, so in terms of testing layouts and whatnot, it's only as good as the data that's input into it. So it, it, things like – uh, grip of, of the pavement or the way the track is going to wear. And that's a big consideration that I've got on this one is, you're right, they're talking about it being a temporary track. So how much time and investment are they honestly going to put into it? Not saying that they're going to they're do a bad job, but if they're building this with the intention of a one-time or at least one once-a-year kind of thing, how much time, effort, and money do they want to sink into it for something that's only going to be used for – Realistically, what an hour or two pops. So you got to you got to figure that it's probably not going to be the most durable kind of surface, and we may see significant track wear by the time that the event is over, as that temporary asphalt wears away. The other consideration in terms of uh, of building the track isn't just the surface itself, but you've got to have some sort of a barrier uh, on the outside, maybe the inside of the track to keep cars from going uh, places they're not supposed to go. Uh, it's only going to be a quarter mile, so it doesn't need to be anything super serious. I don't think they're going to need a catch fence or probably not even safer barriers, but they're going to need something to keep cars contained within that track and not damage the rest of the facility because it's a quarter mile track. And probably the best sample that we have for it right now is Bowman Gray Stadium, and it's appropriately known as the Madhouse. And I expect a similar <laughs> kind of thing happening at the Clash. So mm-hmm. you're going to have contact. You're going to have accidents, and you need to make sure that the cars stay contained within that track to avoid damaging the facility and hopefully not hurting anybody. So those are all considerations that need to go into designing this track, and it's going to be something really interesting to follow to see what develops out of it. I've got faith they're going to put together some sort of an interesting venue and facility, but I think there's a lot of challenges there that go way beyond just putting a date on the calendar, and it's going to be a lot to overcome since they're, they're, they said they're going to start construction on it on January 1st, New Year's Day, and then they're going to have the race in early February. So it's going to be a month or so 
from start to finish to put this facility together. And that's a lot of bridges to cover. And we're only, what, three months away from January, so they don't have a whole lot of time to plan it. Yes. Mike, I'm going to jump in here real quick on your soapbox uh, to make an announcement because we are going to go off the air at exactly noon Eastern time. Uh, And uh, just in case anybody is listening, I just want you to know we're going off the air uh, and at that time, but we are continuing our conversation and we'll have that available on our podcast. And I will be putting the podcast out on fanforacing.com uh, as soon as we get finished here. So I will post that on Twitter. So watch for that. And then if you've listened up to this point, just uh, fast forward to the two hour mark. Okay, go ahead. Well, that was about all. Uh, it's, like I said, it's going to be a lot to follow here. And really, we're only about four months or so away from the, the green flag at this event. So there's a lot of things that are going to need to happen between now and then. And it's going to be something to follow. And it's probably the, not the last time we're going to be talking about it, even before the end of this season. I, I have the same, same kind of con- concerns as far as Mike does. When you talk about uh, putting together a dirt track, dirt is a little more uh, – Giveable and gets tore up anyway, just through the natural process of racing. Whereas asphalt, the track has to um, maintain. So that is going to be an interesting concept of how they do that. Like he said, of a month preparation or so, and it being a temporary plan um, is way above me and, and anything I can imagine or concept. But I know they get, they put together some good teams to do so. So we'll have to see how it plays out. Like I said, I'm excited about it, and it is one of those of, I guess, as uh, more open-minded than some others, even if it doesn't go well on this first one, if they say they're going to do it another, another year, I'd look at it of uh, they're going to take what they learned from it and make it better. So even if, it, like I said, it doesn't come out exactly real good the first year, I'd still be in favor of doing it a second year as they grow and learn. Yeah, one of the things, and I'm staying open as well, one of the things about this track is that they're celebrating their centennial next year. So that's part of the excitement about racing at the Coliseum during its centennial year and kind of kicking off not just the NASCAR season, but kicking off the centennial year for the Coliseum as well. Uh, It is going to be an asphalt track. So uh, it's a quarter-mile asphalt, uh, asphalt short track, uh, which is going to be new. Now, short track racing at a Coliseum like that is not new. They have done it, and I know it's not it, – it might be new for the type of cars that they're racing now, but I know that they've done short track racing at Soldier's Field, which, by the way, I looked it up. It is a capacity of 61,500. Um, They've done uh, short track racing at Soldier Field. So uh, I I don't know that they have the issues that you're talking about. Uh, Safety is certainly going to be a concern. And knowing NASCAR the way I know NASCAR, they are going to try to do everything they can to make this a safe venue. Uh, But I think as fans, we also need to keep in mind 
that this is this is the first time that they're doing that. So there's going to be things that don't maybe go according to plan that maybe they'll have to adjust if they're thinking about doing this at other tracks, like, for instance, the Soldier Field, where they have done racing uh, on that track before. Uh, I know it's all been changed over the years, and it's not the same track that it was when they were doing racing there. But maybe this asphalt track could be something that could be a traveling track, so to say, that could go to other coliseums. Um, So just something to kind of keep in mind. Again, I don't know that they're going to do this uh, on an ongoing basis. I'm just speculating here as to what the possibilities might be. Uh, again, I really like the idea of opening it up in the in the West Coast market and making them a part of the opening festivities. Um, uh, I do think that NASCAR has a, a, a great deal of experience, and I do think that people, including the drivers, are going to want to make this as safe as they possibly can for themselves as well as for the fans. Uh, And I'm sure that they can certainly make that happen. They might have to block off the seats uh, that are closer to the ground there uh, in order to make it safe for everybody. So just uh, something to, to kind of keep in mind. I have faith in NASCAR that they're going to do what's right for the fans. They're going to do what's right for um the drivers, uh, and, and uh, again, I think it's huge that they're making up part of that centennial uh, year for the L.A. Coliseum. I think it's fantastic that they're inclusive of that West Coast market, and um, uh, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, who knows? We might be disappointed in how it plays out, but I'm willing to give it a chance to see how it plays out. Uh, before I make a judgment on it and uh, kind of prejudge it before it even happens. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, Jay, do you want to bring up the next hot topic? All right. We got Sheldon Creed going after a truck championship, but he's already made his announcement for 2022, and he's going to be going Xfinity Series racing with Richard Childress Racing. Okay, Mike, your thoughts about that? This is exciting news here. Uh, We've talked about Sheldon Creed potentially trying to get into the Xfinity series, and I think we're all pretty down on his chances just in terms of the outlook for GMS and and what he's doing at GMS right now, which since we've talked about that, he's he's important, it seems like. It really seems like they've stepped it up for the playoffs. But we're kind of down on his chances of getting an Xfinity ride. So the fact that not only he got one, but he got an RCR ride, which traditionally tend to be a fairly competitive car, we're thinking if he ended up in the Xfinity series, maybe it'd be like a JD Motorsports or something. So I think this is a really great move for Sheldon Creed. the RCR cars in the Xfinity series, they're not quite JRM or Joe Gibbs racing level competitive, but they're not bad cars either. They, they tend to run up front. So if you put a, a really skilled race car driver like Sheldon Creed in there, I would say he's probably on the short list of championship contenders for next year if all things go well. We saw Tyler Reddick uh, compete and win a championship in the Xfinity series in an RCR car not too long ago, and I don't see any reason why Sheldon Creed can't do the same thing in a, in a similar equipment. Um, the other interesting part of this rumor is this this rumor kind of started a few days before the official announcement on the Door Bumper Clear podcast. They talked about they – they were kind of coy about it. They didn't say Sheldon Creed by name, but they talked about – 
a GMS racing driver moving into the Xfinity series. And the other part of that rumor was that Ty Dillon had a full-time ride in the Cup series, and it was going to be with GMS racing. That has not been announced yet. That remains rumor. But the first half of the, 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 the DBC rumor of Sheldon Creed going to the Xfinity series ended up being true. So I, I'm kind of interested to see if the other shoe's going to drop here soon, and we see Ty Dillon announced as the driver of the GMS Racing Cup Series entry. Okay. Uh, I, I uh, think this is great news as well. Uh, GMS, by the way, is an affiliate team with RCR, so it makes sense to me that he would go to that affiliate to move up into the Xfinity Series. Um, they both have uh, part of the Chevrolet program, and uh, I think uh, this is a, a really good move for Sheldon Creed. Um, I, I think he'll be a championship contender next year. Uh, we'll have to wait and see if that happens, but I do see him being a championship contender here in the uh, Xfinity Series for RCR. RCR's had some really good teams in the Xfinity Series. Uh, and uh, going back to, you know, uh, you know, Kevin Harvick winning a championship there, Ty Austin Dillon winning a championship in the Xfinity Series with RCR. Uh, Martin, was Martin Truex Jr.? With RCR, no, he was with um, he was with another team. That was with Champs too. Yeah, that was with Champs, Champs too. Junior uh, Junior Motorsports. Yeah, I think it was part of the RCR Chevrolet grouping, if you will, but but not with RCR. Um, but yeah, I do think that that uh, is is a really good move uh, for uh, Sheldon Creed. And I do think that we will see him competing for a championship in that series. Uh, he's a strong competitor and, uh, I'm happy for him, uh, that he was able to get this right at RCR. As far as the other rumor, uh, mill that you talked about, we know that GMS racing has already said that they would like to go cup racing. Um, and I hope that that does come true, that it is Ty Dillon that they're putting in that GMS, uh, uh, car, uh, and it might explain why GMS wants to go into uh, the uh, Cup Series because it expands uh, the driver development as far as uh, Chevrolet. Uh, I think they've been a little bit behind the curve as far as driver development and using uh, that driver development uh, to expand on the bigger teams. Uh, like Hendrick Motorsports and Junior Motorsports, like Hendrick Motorsports and, and the other Chevrolet team, um, teams. Um, uh, but uh, Toyota has been probably one of the better ones at it, as well as uh, Ford, uh, although they seem a little weak on the Xfinity side, but uh, we see a lot of drivers come up from the truck series. I do like that uh, GMS racing is looking at coming into the cup series and kind of expanding on that Chevrolet uh, development. And I think, I think uh, having Sheldon Creed in the Xfinity series is all part of that bigger picture plan, if you will. Uh, Mike or Jay, I'm sorry, your follow-up. Yeah. I, I like it for Sheldon Creed. I think Mike was a little liberal there with the use of uh 
the how we thought Sheldon Creed uh, was going to do or be able to get a ride. Uh, some of us see talent <laughs> in him as well as Noah Gregson. So, uh, did I expect him to go to one of the top teams like RCR, which I do consider them one of the top teams? They haven't maybe as of recent been that top team, but they have always had a very solid Xfinity Series program. I think back to Daniel Hemrick when they moved him up from Xfinity up to Cup. He was in the championship hunt there. but So I think it is a good move. When we talk about, Sharon mentioned it's a development program. GMS did have a Xfinity Series program. They shut it down, went back to focus on the truck. They want to go Cup racing why rebuild their Xfinity series program if they can work with RCR and utilize that avenue. And I think that's where, if it comes to play of Ty Dillon being their cup driver, a veteran driver, uh, whether he's gotten the wins or not, he is a very solid and veteran driver to start the team and get them pointed in the right direction. We've seen other drivers so heavily utilized Landon Castle, JJ Yaley, you don't see them as top winning drivers at the cup level, but they get utilized for that reason because of their knowledge and their experience. So I think for a year or two, if they use Ty Dillon for that, and then the plan maybe of Sheldon Creed being the one to move up. And then, like I said, you have Richard Childress racing as that developmental program. And Sharon pointed it out. Toyota did a great job of developing drivers at these younger or lower series, but having no room at the top whereas Chevy and Ford had room at the top, but they didn't have the development system coming through. Chevrolet more so now, I think, than we've seen in the past. Ford is still lacking other than in the truck series. So I think that'll be interesting to see how that partnership plays out. Okay, Mike, your follow-up. Sure. Um, With regard to... uh, Ty Dillon going to the Cup Series. Um, like we said, that is all a rumor. I've, I've only really heard it coming from one source, so don't, don't take that as any kind of gospel. But like Jay said, it makes sense for a lot of reasons, um, not the least of which being the family association with Richard Childress, Ty Dillon being uh, Mr. Childress's other grandson in addition to Austin. So having the ties to the Childress family and therefore the Childress bank account it, it makes a lot of sense in terms of trying to stand up GMS racing as a potentially competitive Cup Series team. Because, you know, if you're, if you're looking for a guy with Cup Series experience to build your team around, there are other Cup Series free agents that are out there. Uh, right now, Ryan Newman and Matt Benedetto, most notably, who are arguably a better option in terms of pure driver performance or at least experience in relatively top teams uh, than somebody like Ty Dillon. But... Newman and Benedetto don't bring the sponsorship to the table. So there's kind of your consideration on that there. Um, as far as Sheldon Creed in the Xfinity Series, really not a whole lot more to add. I think he will be successful there. Uh, I don't know if he's going to come out of the gate as a championship contender, but the real question is going to be if GMS is going cup racing, and this is part of a three-way triangulated deal in order to make that work, what does that do for Richard Petty Motorsports, which is currently an RCR-affiliated cup series team? Uh, They're already struggling a little bit. They have been for years. And if GMS is going to come in as another RCR-affiliated cup series team, what does that mean for the future of Richard Petty Motorsports and their association with Richard Childress Racing? I haven't seen or heard anything regarding that, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on if this comes to fruition the way it's rumored to do so. 
I don't think that GMS affiliation is something new. I think that's something that's been going on for a while, for quite a while, actually. Uh, well, sure, but not at so, the Cup Series level. Well, not at the Cup Series level, obviously, but they've had that affiliation with RCR. Uh, RCR has used GMS racing as, as kind of a means of bringing people into their organization. So <clears throat> I do think that uh, that uh, that is is not really something new uh that they've worked with that organization over the years maybe not to the full development uh potential that we're talking about uh, potentially coming up here in the future but they have worked with them um as far as there was something else you said that i wanted to comment on and now i can't remember it um uh i do think that uh gms um we we know that they're coming to the Cup Series. They've already announced that. So that part of it isn't really a rumor. We just don't know who's coming to it. And you mentioned Ty Gibbs uh, uh, being the driver there, potentially, uh, based on the rumor. Ty Dillon. But, or Ty Dillon, I'm sorry, yeah. Ty Dillon. Uh, I do wonder if they might consider bringing somebody like a Matt DiBenedetto and a or a Ryan Newman as part of that package, uh, as part of the development of their team. So, I mean, that that still is a possibility there as well. Uh, and Newman, I know, has an affiliation with RCR, having raced there uh, for a few years. I don't know if that's going to help or hurt him, <laughs> but uh, that that is a possibility, I think, as well. Uh, I don't know how realistic it is, but I, I think it's certainly a possibility. Um, as far as Sheldon Creed, yeah, maybe he won't come out of the gates. It might take him the first half of the season to maybe get used to maybe a few different tracks, although I think a lot of the tracks that they race in trucks are the same. The car and how it handles is going to be a little bit different. So, uh, But he has raced in the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, and other late model series. Uh, so I don't see that really being a huge issue for him. Uh, but I would say the second half of next season, we're going to see him come alive. And I hope it's not the only season that he races in the Xfinity Series. I hope he races a second season in the Xfinity Series uh, and has that opportunity to go for uh, a championship in that series. I think it'll only help him as he moves forward into Cup. And we've kind of talked about that as well, how the Xfinity Series and staying in the Xfinity Series for uh, two or three years is not a negative thing, but a positive thing for a lot of these drivers. And I'd love to see Matt DiBenedetto come down and race in the Xfinity Series or even the Truck Series. Um, I think that would be uh, pretty cool to see. So uh, I'll just throw that out there. Jay, final word. Yeah, we'll have to see how he does in the in the Xfinity series. He is one based on what we saw coming out of ARCA, and I know that's not always a guarantee. Uh, seemed to be. I think he struggled more to adapt to the trucks than anything. Now we're seeing the fruits of that. When he gets in the RCR machine, see what he does in that first year. He is one that if they were to move up from the Xfinity series after one year, I kind of have a little bit of confidence in, but we've seen that with others. Uh, like Sharon mentioned, they do need that second, maybe even third year in Xfinity before moving up to, as that is quite the jump. So we'll we'll have to see. 
something um, that Mike hit on though of the our uh, Richard Petty Motorsports. If that's the case, and they are a RCR affiliate, and that term affiliate is where it comes in loosely. It's not a teammate; it's an affiliate. That maybe then RPM and GMS can become more teammates than affiliates to RCR and help each other and, and both grow. I know RPM's been a two-car team in the past and couldn't do it on their own, but maybe having GMS come in of a separate one and both of them build off of each other. That's a good point. Okay. Um, we've got a few more minutes here. Uh, Mike, did you have another topic you wanted to bring up for us to discuss? Yeah, I sure do. Um came out a couple days ago about the future for the 54 car for the rest of the year. Uh, this was reported by Casey Campbell on Twitter, so I'm not super familiar with it, but it sounds like it, it's come from Joe Gibbs Racing indirectly here. But anyway, John Hunter Nemechek is going to be in the 54 car at Caldega, Texas, and Phoenix. And then the remaining races, which include Bristol, Las Vegas, Charlotte, the Roval, uh, Kansas and Martinsville are all going to be run by Ty Gibbs. So two drivers left running in the 54 car for the remainder of the year. Ty Gibbs, not a big surprise. He's obviously been doing extremely well in that 54 car. And even though it hasn't officially been announced, it's most likely he's either going to be driving the 54 or some other Joe Gibbs racing Toyota full-time in the Xfinity Series next year. But seeing John Hunter Nemechek announced as having – quite a few more additional dates coming in the 54 car, it makes me wonder if that's setting John Hunter up for a full-time Xfinity Series ride next year with Joe Gibbs Racing. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, I know, again, Mike, it was one of the the shows you missed. We did hit on this a little bit the other night. I think I read some of the comments you had that you and I had gone back and forth. Uh, Mm -hmm. Certainly interesting, and I do think it is – setting him up, even if it is not for the opportunity within Joe Gibbs Racing itself, but for another team, just like Kyle Busch Motorsports, bringing him back to the truck series, he's winning races, going after a championship. They know that another team is going to come looking to him again. So I think this is an opportunity where put him out there for some additional sponsorship, as as Mike mentioned, that Safelight being one that was kind of with him in freight auctions, that that's not going to carry him for a whole season. So that gives him that opportunity to maybe reach out to, to other sponsors in his performance in those races. Now it could be that they do keep him in with the Joe Gibbs. <coughs> Excuse me. I could use Mountain Dew. Uh, how long do I have to wait yet, Mike? No. Um, that Depends how warm you want. They the sun's keep- not really out very bright yet. Okay, yeah, it's got to be later in the afternoon, okay. Um, But give him that opportunity, and we don't know yet what Joe Gibbs Racing's plans next year are for their full Xfinity Series team. We've heard rumors of them cutting back uh, and going to only two full-time teams. They haven't even announced Ty Gibbs full-time for next year. We're pretty confident it's going to happen, and we all agree it should with what he's demonstrated. So maybe they do get him in full-time as well. We'll have to wait and see. But I do think it is setting him up for a future somewhere, whether it be with their team or not. Yeah, I would agree. However, there's one thing to kind of keep in mind. Earlier in June, they announced that uh, John Hunter Nemechek was going to race in that Joe Gibbs uh, racing machine, number 54, 
uh, at Bristol. Uh, this week, though, they announced that instead of Joe, instead of John Hunter Nemechek being in that car, they were going to put Ty Gibbs in the number 54 at Bristol. That concerns me just a little bit that maybe uh, there's a sponsorship issue there, although they did say that he will still have three races. It just won't be uh, – it won't include Bristol as the three races that he is going to race in. So – um, just a, a word of note there. Now, I would love to see John Hunter Nemechek and Ty Gibbs both racing next season uh, in the Xfinity Series. What worries me is if the both of them are racing in the Xfinity Series, uh, what happens to um, Hemrick, Daniel Hemrick, who is now in the number 18? Uh, I feel sorry for Hemrick because he is such a consistently performing driver, but he has yet to win in any series, uh, in any series that he's ever raced for. And, I, you know, I, I, I know that people and sponsorship is driven by uh, being in victory lane. So uh, that does not bode well, I think, for Daniel Hemrick if both of those drivers are racing in the Xfinity series, unless they bring a third car into the series. Um, I think that would be interesting if they do that. Um, But uh, it does worry me a little bit as it relates to Daniel Hemrick and what happens to him if both of those drivers come into the series next season. And you're right. The fact that they're both getting those starts part-time this year certainly points in the direction of both of them racing in the series. Excuse me, with Joe Gibbs racing next year. Uh, The first race, by the way, uh, the next race for John Hunter Nemechek will be Talladega, as opposed to what was originally scheduled at Bristol Motor Speedway. So, Mike, your follow-up. Yeah, I kind of agree with everything y'all are saying with regard to uh, to John Hunter Nemechek as, as well as the broader future of Joe Gibbs Racing Xfinity Series program. Uh, John Hunter, I, I'm not sure, I'm not going to say he's their guy, but he's definitely shown that he uh, he he made the most of the opportunity that Kyle Busch Motorsports gave him in the in the Truck Series this year. Not sure whether he's going to win the championship or not, but he's certainly in a very strong position to to contend for it. Things happen. Ask William Byron uh, whether whether he's actually going to win the Truck Series championship or not but uh, i don't think anybody can make a reasonable argument that john hunter hasn't absolutely capitalized on the opportunity given to him this year and definitely deserves consideration for uh another opportunity to do well uh whether it is in the xfinity series or back in the cup series it sounds like the xfinity series is the door that's opening to him right now and i think he could do very well there if given the right opportunity and joe gibbs racing would certainly be it in terms of the broader future of joe gibbs racing um yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. Um, I've, I've heard the same rumors that you all have regarding them downsizing. Kyle Busch has already said that he's done in the Xfinity Series. He got his 101 wins, and now he's, uh, he's going to retire from the, the Xfinity Series. So that leaves a lot of slots open in the, uh, the 54 or whatever their all-star car is, or they could just downsize that one and see what happens. But that's also a big sponsor draw, so who knows? Um, as far as the other full-time Joe Gibbs Racing Xfinity drivers, namely Daniel Hemmerich, Harrison Burton, and Brandon Jones, we already know Harrison Burton is leaving to go to the NASCAR Cup Series. So that's one seat oh, open at Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, but as far as Daniel Hemmerich and Brandon Jones, tough to say. 
Brandon Jones apparently brings a decent amount of money to the table, so he might have a ride so long as the check's clear. And as far as Daniel Hemmerich goes, you're right. I've never heard an unkind word said about the guy with regard to his personality, his generosity. His, everything about Daniel Hemmerich says that he's a great guy. But he's been in, in, in one of the top three NASCAR uh, touring series for going on the better part of a decade now and he has never once made it to victory lane. It's kind of the same argument with Matt Benedetto. At some point, you can only go so far based on your personality and based on the potential that people see in you. At some point, that potential has got to pan out, and if it doesn't pan out, it, it's time to move on and find somebody else who has potential that might actually pan out. So we'll see where this goes. I'm not sure what kind of backing Daniel Hemmerk has financially, whether he can, he can pay his way into a ride and stay there. Um, but in terms of merit and in terms of winning his way into the ride, this may be the end of the road for Daniel Hemrick. We'll have to see how that shakes out for Joe Gibbs Racing. Okay, Jay. Well, the one thing I look at, and this goes back to with the GMS deal as well, what I think we're going to start seeing, uh, is my hope anyway, a full field of competitive cars in the Cup Series, more competitive teams, uh, top competitive teams in the Xfinity series as well. So I, th- I think it's a huge uh, shift from what we've seen. I know we've kind of gone away from what they call the starting parks, but there are still field fillers, uh, if you will, um, that aren't out there as competitive as other teams. And I think we're going to see that gap, especially with the next-gen car and the amount of interest we have at the cup level um, and again, there is so many spots at that table. So seeing some of these guys going to the Xfinity series, if it is Matt DiBenedetto going back down there, Daniel Hamrick, I think we'll find another ride. Uh, I'm trying to think who the other one race hub they mentioned it wasn't Newman. Somebody else talking about getting a full-time ride that was questionable after this year. But so as they spread out, uh, seeing that I think is good for all the series. I 102% agree with you. Uh, I think it is good for the series. And uh, we've seen drivers hanging on a little bit longer in the series uh, to see some of the stars that have NASCAR come down to that series, like a Justin Allgaier that came down from the Cup Series. And look, he's contending for championships now. And I think that's been one of the best things that could have happened. Um uh, I like that it's still a feeder series into the Cup Series, but I think, it, and I think it's good for not just the Xfinity Series. I think it would be good for the uh, Truck Series to have some of these stars go into the Truck Series as well and race there, uh, and and uh, really be competitive with the guys. And we've seen drivers like Ron Hornaday be mentors to a lot of the Truck Series drivers. Uh, it would be great to see some of the Cup Series drivers come down into the Truck Series and be those mentors, uh, again, in the Truck and the Xfinity Series, I should mention. And, yes, Daniel Hemrick is uh, a wonderful person. And this is nothing against Daniel Hemrick. Uh, it's just that when it comes down to business, uh, those wins mean a lot when it comes to the sponsorship dollars. Uh, and I think Daniel Hemrick is a wonderful, wonderful person. But uh, D- Matt Benedetto is a wonderful, wonderful person. But <clears throat> I would love to see those guys say go to the truck series and race in that series uh, and be stars there. Uh, so 
uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think that uh, I, I like the trend that uh, Jay is talking about, and I hope that that trend does continue uh, with not just people going up into the Cup Series from the Xfinity Series, but I'd like to see some of the Cup Series drivers continue their racing careers and come into the Xfinity and Cup and Truck Series. Mike, you get the final word. Sorry, fumbling for the mute button. Anyway, not a whole lot to add on that. There's a lot of moving pieces. We're kind of at the, at the point in the season, kind of like we were talking about last year, there's a lot of butts in the air uh, between the three major series. And as the playoffs continue and we get a little bit closer to the offseason, we're going to start seeing some clarity in terms of who's going where and what opportunities are going to develop in terms of, for example, GMS, their Cup Series ride, or uh, things like that. And we're going to see just how – uh, how many opportunities there are for guys like Daniel Hamrick or, or Matt Benedetto to potentially get another shot at the, those, those wins that haven't come so far. So I'm going to pay real close attention to it. It's always really interesting to see how these teams take shape and evolve over the years. So it's, uh, it's good to see, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Okay, let's go ahead and do our roundtable now. Uh, hopefully we won't get cut off. I'm just kind of alerting people in case we do get cut off. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and start with Mike. Sure, it's Mike underscore Rizel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, not sure what my availability is going to be. I think I'm going to end up having a work conflict for uh, for next week's shows, and then I get my schedule for uh, the month of October here at the end of this week. So we'll see what's going on. Be keeping uh, keeping the ear out for me. You'll, this isn't the last you've heard of me. <laughs> okay, yay. You can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm just looking forward to some Mountain Dew. And the question, Sharon, so we can be clarify on uh, next Wednesdays, it's 10 Eastern, 9 Central, just to make sure nobody else is late like myself. <laughs> that is correct, Jay. Yeah, I was like, this isn't like Jay to be this late. <laughs> so... You were part of my multitasking today. <laughs> well, I, um, I got away with it today because it's my birthday. Next week's not my birthday, so right. I don't know if I can get away with it next week. <laughs> it is 10 a.m. Eastern, uh, 9 a.m. Central time. So, uh, again, we will release the podcast uh, as soon as we're finished, probably early afternoon and uh, get it out there as quickly as we possibly can so that everybody can hear it before the races begin on Thursday night. Um, I am Bamper Racing Psych on Twitter. Oh, wait a second. Did you do your roundtable round thing, Jay? Yep. Oh, okay. I am Bamper Racing Psych on Twitter and Bamper Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, including com, and that's where we'll be putting up this player as soon as we're done here. And, um, uh, again, we're looking forward to the weekend of racing. It's a big, big, big weekend of racing. And uh, I'm going to be glued to my TV all weekend uh, to watch all of these races starting on Thursday night. So uh, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We do appreciate you, uh, especially during these uh, days that we're doing the podcast, uh, for tuning into the podcast and to hearing what we have to say. Uh, and, of course, to our fans racing crew, Mike Orzel and Jay Huseman for being here today to help with the podcast. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to Monday night and next Wednesday uh, night for our show. So thank you, everybody. 
Have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you on the other side. See ya. See ya. Good night, everybody. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.